where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome, Kirker and Smallman, on 101 ESPN. It's 701 on a Tuesday. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. And Michelle Smallman, you have today, you have tomorrow, and then you have baseball for six months. Can't wait, as Bart Scott would say. It's going to be great. Looking forward to that. The Cardinals will wrap up the Grapefruit League season today. They'll take on the Marlins in a game that will be played at 10 in the morning, St. Louis time, obviously 11 Eastern. And after that game, the Cardinals will fly home, have a workout tomorrow, and they get things underway with the Pirates on Thursday, 3 o'clock, 3.15 start. Adam Wainwright against JT Brubaker. And we're going to have to make some FanDuel uh, bets on this, baby. Oh, yeah, we will. Because we need to make the game and the day matter more. And that's why Mm -hmm. you use FanDuel. Promo code SMALLS when you download. It's going to be great. We have quite a show coming up for you at some point during the show. And this is why you need to listen for the whole show. (laughs) We're going to talk to Harrison Bader, the Cardinal center fielder, as he prepares for that last game of Grapefruit League. We're going to talk to Darren Pang. We're going to talk to Mike Claiborne. And then yesterday, we had a conversation with Mark McGuire. And he is great. He is compelling. And he can talk. And uh, we, we love talking to Mark, and he's very generous with his time. And so we'll have Mark at 9 and 9.15 today here on 101 ESPN. So the only thing that's a negative about this conversation with Mark McGuire is that we could have gone another 30 minutes with yeah. him. And we had to pull the plug at some point. So, but he is so amazing to speak to. I learned more about baseball and about hitting and these 30 minutes with Mark McGuire than I probably have in years. So I was talking to... A, a golf, a good golfer friend of mine yesterday about the conversation that we had about how, and he'll tell us how the ground is your friend. You, you, everything about hitting is is about the ground. And then I said, sounds like you're talking about the golf swing. And then he gets into that and starts talking about that. So it's really interesting. But I think it'll his discussion. Tell me if you agree with me when he talks. And every time we talk to him, he, he talks about mental toughness. Mm-hmm. And I always take something out of that. I always feel like I become better and more mentally tough and apply what he says to my general life. Agreed. I want Mark McGuire to write a book or to do a podcast or to do something. Maybe when we see him at the home opener, I will ask him if I could facilitate this. Mm-hmm. I would love to really drill in on how he has found this next plane of mental enlightenment because mm-hmm. we had spoken to him, Randy, what was that, two summers ago maybe? Yep. About long, long gone, gone summer, summer and uh, the home run chase. And he talked about 
the mental preparation and how that was almost more rigorous than the physical preparation to get through the home run chase and how he would sit in the dark before every game and he would meditate and he would visualize himself hitting home runs and um, not to give too much away of our conversation today but he shares how even during that he would step into the batter's box and Bush Stadium would go quiet and that not only would he, was he able to silence the noise inside his own head that he was at peace in mm-hmm. that moment and I'm somebody that that tries to silence the noise and I, I meditate Randy and I it's really, really hard for me to turn my brain off. In theory, it sounds very simple. Just stop thinking. Turn your brain off. Mm-hmm. You know, focus on the task at hand. Zero in on what's happening. To actually put it into practice and to be able to reach that level that he did with all of that external noise coming at him is next level. So I, I asked him, I, I apologized to him retroactively for, in 1998, treating him like a robot. I don't. <laughs> I didn't humanize him like I do most people and, and most athletes. And then he proceeded to tell us that basically he was a robot that season. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I know. It was great. I can't wait for everybody to hear our chat with him. We're looking forward to that. How about your St. Louis Blues? A 5-1 win over Arizona last night at Enterprise Center. And Michelle, it was an interesting game in that Arizona's totally outmanned. Coming into last night, they had 471 man games lost to injury. They're a team that shouldn't win. They kind of hung with the Blues for the first period. Even though the Blues came away with a 5-1 victory, I just thought it was a good hockey game. Only four penalties were called, both teams going up and down the ice. Yes, it was a team that the Blues should dominate, and they did dominate, but I liked seeing a good, clean hockey game from the Blues. I agree. And I like a couple things. I like that they took this road trip and that momentum and then they delivered at home. They carried mm-hmm. it through because that's something that we were wondering about is the consistency with this team. Can they continue this style of play and this intensity throughout the end of the regular season? So it was great to see that translate at home as well. And even in some of those wins and or overtime losses of the past few games, some of the, the play hasn't necessarily been beautiful. Like the result was there, but it didn't look great all right. the time. So for them to come out and play a clean game last night, I thought was good. And Randy, they haven't always beaten the teams that they should beat this Including season. this one, right? Including this one. Yeah, they, they uh, broke a four-game losing streak at home to Arizona last night, so it's good to see them handle their business. A scoreless first period, but early in the second, something happened between the first and the second. Early in the second, the Blues grabbed the lead. Chenyuk loses his helmet and then goes to play without it, and that's a penalty. Blues get it in front. It's loose. Barbashev, he scores! Ivan Barbashev, 22nd of the year, delayed penalty goal, and the Blues have a 1-0 lead. 1743 to go in the second period. 1-0 at the 217 mark, a minute 17. Another Russian got on the board for the Blues. 1-0 Blues lead. Tarasenko scores! 2-0 Blues. 16.26 to go in the second period. From behind the net, Terzhan like and Thomas feeds Tarasenko and Vladimir as the Blues up to Cobb. So you've got a 2-0 lead three and a half minutes into the second period, and before you even reach the seven-minute mark. Over to Shen, down to the corner, Perron. Back to Shen. He scores! O'Reilly with the screen. Braden Shen scores. 13.27 to go. 3-0 Blues, a power play goal. Pavel Buchnevich would score a couple of third-period goals. Nick Schmaltz scored for Arizona, so Villejuso lost the shutout. Blues win at 5-1, and victory number 20 on the season for Villejuso, who has not surprised his coach, Craig Berube. Yeah, he's done a great job, I think, right from camp. Um, I think, you know, started last year late. You know, he worked on his game throughout the season with Davey. 
and got better and better, and he had a good finish and then came in this year, and he's been really good from the get-go. Um, you know, he's, if, you know, you're not around him all the time, but he's at the rink probably first most days, um, doing what he needs to do to get ready to play. His focus is really good, you know, and he's just got to continue to do those things. Um, you know, I, I've had Hoos in the minors, and um, he was a good goalie then, so he's got a lot of ability. So, 21 saves last night for Billy Huso. The Hoos is loose. Now, Randy, do you think <laughs> when he shows up to the, the facility first and then Ryan O'Reilly undoubtedly mm-hmm. is there second, he's like, what are you doing here? Probably. <laughs> I, I would think so. And you know what I thought when Coach said that? Why isn't Jordan Biddington the first guy there? At, you know what? Good question. Good question. And this is Billy Huso's team. He's going to mm-hmm. be the one that's called upon. And it's great to see another strong performance out of him last night, especially in the wake of what we saw over the weekend with, with Jordan Biddington. But I think for a lot of Blues fans, seeing Billy Huso be sharp is comforting for them because this Jordan Bennington thing, Randy, is very confusing, I think, for a lot of people, and there's no easy answer. There's no linear path to figure it out. So the fact that you can at least rely on Villahuso is very nice. One nice thing, if you have to play Jordan Bennington, is now you have tw- uh, seven 20-goal scores with Schenner getting number 20 last night. Ryan O'Reilly has 16. Thomas has 15. Thomas, by the way, with 59 points. He's having a fantastic year. 59 points in 59 games. Butchnevich with two more, now up to 24 four goals, 57 points. So a lot of good things happening for the Blues, who, when you look, Michelle, at the standings, for all of the complaints that I have had, and I I still say that the Blues have been inconsistent. But that being said, a lot of us say, well, they could be a lot better. They have 88 points. They're only three points out of third. And they play Minnesota on Friday night. They could very easily pass Minnesota and Calgary and wind up with the second most points in the conference. Right now, Colorado leads away with 104. Minnesota and Calgary tie with 91. Then the Blues with 88. And I guess because we don't like the way it looks, the way they've gotten there doesn't thrill us. But when you just look at the numbers, 88 points. Most fans in the NHL would love to have that. Oh, the success is there. But I think the expectations are higher for this group. This is a Stanley Cup championship window that's open that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think we all understand what the goal is, and it, that's to win. And when at times, especially in the second half of the season, you don't have a firm identity and you don't feel like the cohesion is there, that's when I think you have some consternation about your team. But, you know, make no mistake, this is a good hockey team with a lot of talent. Last night in New Orleans, Kansas wrapped up the national championship. They held off North Carolina 72 72- 269 for the title. Carolina Carolina Michelle, I got home from the hockey game. It was 40 to 15 at halftime. Carolina and I thought, "Oh, they're going to roll here." And then a 32 to 10 run for KU out of the gates in the second half and the Jayhawkers come away with another victory for Bill Self. And how about David McCormick giving the smile and the talk at mm-hmm. halftime saying, "No, we got this. No big deal." And Kansas going out and delivering. There's you can always look at this on, on two sides. That Kansas overcame an incredible deficit, pulled pulled out the victory, they earned it. But also, how are you going to sleep at night if you're North Carolina, knowing right. that you had that t- that sort of a cushion and you let it up and you lost the national championship game? And I wonder, first of all, the St. Louis and the CBC product, Caleb Love suffered an ankle injury. He rolled his ankle and kind of limped through most of the second half. And Baycott came in injured. Now, he still had his 15 rebounds. He had had a 15-15 night. 
but he was only three of 13 from the floor. And I just wonder if Baycott would have been completely healthy. Mm-hmm. He, he wasn't. And congratulations to KU. But I wonder if you're in North Carolina this morning, North Carolina fan or player or coach this morning, if you're saying to yourself, what if? Of course you are. That's what we do as sports fans. Yeah. You're always going to say what if. And, and you never want to point. You always want to look at something that's outside of your control, whether mm-hmm. it's an injury or with me, with Sister Jean asking the big man upstairs for a favor. <laughs> yep. You never want to say, my team got outplayed. It's right. That's what we do yeah. as sports fans. But circling all the way back to what we talked about with Mark McGuire about mental toughness, talk about mental toughness. You're down mm-hmm. 15 at half in the national championship game, and you have members of the team saying, no, we got this. We're good. Don't don't freak out. Mm-hmm. We're going to come back and win this game. To say that is one thing, to be able to have composure and put that into practice in the biggest moment of your life when you're a teenager or a young man is something else. So a lot of mental toughness from that Kansas team. Yeah, and speaking of what could have been, legend has it, that Bill Self was in the building in Columbia. Tulsa coach Bill Self was in the building in Columbia in 2000 and wanted the Mizzou job at the time that Kroenke and Laurie were hiring Quinn Snyder. Hmm. How different would history have been had Bill Self wound up at Mizzou rather than Illinois and then Kansas? How about if he didn't leave Illinois in 0405? Probably would have cut down yep. a net. No disrespect to Bruce Weber, who did a phenomenal job that season. You but never know. You never know. And uh, one other note, the Masters will start on Thursday in Augusta. Fred Couples played a practice round with Tiger Woods yesterday and said he looked phenomenal. He's playing. <laughs> I think he is. FanDuel Sportsbook promo code SMALLS. Download it. I'm putting some some cheese on old Tiger. I feel I so think, good about this. I, I'm going to go with Tiger to lead after the first round at the very least. If people are saying he looks as good as he does, here's why he's playing, Michelle. You don't practice on Sunday and then practice on Monday and then go to the putting green. All right? If, if there's any chance that you aren't playing, if your leg is bothering mm-hmm. you, why practice putting? You just get in the plane and go home. You don't stick around. But if you play and you feel good after you play on Sunday, and then you feel good enough after Monday to go, go to the putting green, you're playing. Well, he's also a different breed, and even if he Mm -hmm. wasn't playing, probably would think that he needs to do all of that practice, and he's such a Mm self-motivator. But I think he's playing. I think there's no doubt he's playing. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, it's a holiday. The Pakoda projections are out, (laughs) and we're going to tell you why they're so stupid next on 101 ESPN. (laughs) We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Eric and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Matthew Rocchio also here, as always, doing great work spinning the dials. And Michelle, one of my favorite national holidays was this weekend when the Pakoda projections came out. There's a former Major League Baseball named Bill Pakoda, who I blame for this every year, who has absolutely nothing to do with the Pakoda projections. Yeah, it's Pakoda Day. Everyone celebrate accordingly. How do you think people should celebrate Pakoda Day? Um, I think... The best way to celebrate Pakoda Day is to do something that you know is incorrect. <laughs> so whatever you want to eat or drink or consume, no matter what the calories are, yep. the sugar content, you know that it's not going to be the right thing for you. It's right. not right, so just do it. But then you say it's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say we all just do a little mini office space with a TI-84 calculator. <laughs> there you go. Good just idea. take it out into, into a field and just <laughs> bash it with a hammer. 
Okay, well, let's get started with the Cardinals, who we all think are going to be pretty good and most people nationally believe are going to contend for the National League Central. The Pocota projections have the Cardinals finishing with 79.6 victories. The Brewers are projected to have 92.8 victories. So if you're doing that, it'll be 93 wins for the Brewers and 80 for the Cardinals. They believe the the Brewers are going to finish 13 games ahead of the Cardinals in the National League Central. This is the Pocota projections. This tells me that they really love the Brewers pitching and that mm-hmm. they have a lot of questions about the Cardinals pitching, which fair, but I don't know if I would think the disparity between the two teams is that great. The Pocota projections also have the Cardinals and Reds finishing with virtually identical records. Do they not remember how many people the Reds have unloaded this offseason? Apparently not. Ah. Apparently not. So they've got the Dodgers finishing with 102, 101 victories, the Padres with 90, and the Giants with 77. What they're projecting here, if we're going to have a six-team playoff in the National League, is that the Dodgers and Padres will make the playoffs, the Braves and Mets and Phillies will make the playoffs, and the Brewers and the Cardinals, despite 78, uh, 80 wins essentially, they think the Cardinals will have the sixth best record in the National League with a record of 80 and 82. Yeah, I'm not sold on that, but again, this is the opposite day, so let's continue. (laughs) And this is a problem, again, with people that don't watch games, that just deal with math, right? And and the same thing happens with hockey, it does, but if you look objectively as a baseball person at the San Francisco Giants, they're not going to win just 77 games. The Giants are a 92-93 win team. Are they going to win 107 like they did last year? No. But the Giants are going to win at least 92-93 games. They'll probably win more than the Padres will. And again, look at the Padres objectively. Look at the injuries that they have with Tatis and with their pitching. They aren't going to finish with more victories than the Giants are. I'm going to look this up really quickly. I wonder what the Pocota projections were for the Giants last year. Because who expected them to be the team that they were last year? And I I bet the the talent that they acquired and the numbers that were there Mm -hmm. in no way indicated what we saw last year. Now, here's another one, guys, is... The Mets. And did did this come out before the DeGrom injury, Matthew? These were updated for 4-4. Okay. These were updated as of yesterday. So with Jacob DeGrom out, they have the Mets winning 90 and a half games. Again, beyond Max Scherzer, they have some pitchers that have had moments in the past. Carlos Carrasco has had moments in the past. They, they've got some other starting pitchers that have done it in the past. But with all the moves the Mets have made... And the moves that the Phillies have made, I don't think, as they say here, that the Mets are four games better than Philadelphia. They have Philadelphia finishing at 87 and 75, and the Mets finishing at 91 and 71. I just don't believe that's going to be the case. And again, this is because of my observation as a baseball fan and having nothing to do with their mathematical equations. And you're talking about a couple of these teams getting 10, 15 more wins. Here's where they're coming from. There is no way that if Colorado, Washington, and Pittsburgh, that one of those teams doesn't lose over 100 games. Right. And they've got they've got all of them like 92, 95 yep. or something like that. Great That's, point. I mean, there's 10, there's 10, yep. 12, 15, 25 games with those three teams just lost record. There's no way they're not. There's not at least maybe two 100 lost teams. There. Right. And I'll buy in. By the way, give them credit. 
The Dodgers at 101, good number. Yeah. The Braves at 92, good number. The Brewers at 93, mm-hmm. I think, is a good number. I'm with you, Matthew. I don't think, even though they get to play the Reds and the Cubs, I don't think the Pirates get to 66 victories. I just don't see that happening. So the NL West Pakota projections from last year, they had the Dodgers at 103 and 59, the Padres at 96 and 66, the Diamondbacks at 79 and 83, and the Giants <laughs> at 75 and 87. So they only missed 85, 95, 05. They only missed by 32 games. There you go. <laughs> Uh, but that's that's because this does not, as you said, take into account baseball things. And I yeah. know that the Giants last year surprised a lot of people, not just machines. But mm-hmm. still, that's why you take all of this with a grain of salt. You really have to. And for the most part, Pakota is off base. And the, I, I, we got a text. Didn't you say Pakota had the Mets, Braves, Phillies, Brewers, Padres, and Dodgers with more wins than the Cardinals? The Cardinals with 79, Milwaukee, Atlanta, New York, Philly, yes, L.A. and San Diego. So the Cardinals would miss the playoffs based on the Pakota projections. Last year they had the Cardinals at 81 and 81. And the Cardinals wound up winning 90. Mm-hmm. And the, for whatever reason, and I don't know why the math doesn't work for the Cardinals, but the Pakota projections always have the Cardinals low. Maybe they just need to change their algorithm because the Cardinals always exceed what the Pakota projections are. And again, I have no idea how they come up with this. People talk about it. It doesn't cost anything. But it is patently ridiculous that every year they come out with these projections. And there is obviously the necessity to say injuries can occur. But none of I won't say none of this. Most of this makes very little sense. Remember last week when we were talking about jobs where you can be completely wrong yeah. and it's fine? We, we mm-hmm. threw meteorologists in there, mm-hmm. even though we love and respect our meteorologists, especially in St. Louis. Weather changes on a dime. You can be wrong. We won't hold it against you. NFL draft scouts. It's very hard to identify a, a franchise quarterback. Mm-hmm. You basically flip a coin at this point and you're going to be right. Let's throw a Pocota in there. Exactly. And at some point, wouldn't if, if you are one of the mathematicians working on this, wouldn't you say, after three, four, five, six, seven years, you know, we've got a little problem with the Cardinals here. They always exceed what we say they're going to do. Maybe we need to change something with the way we evaluate the Cardinals. I also would love for them to print out these numbers and hand it to a baseball person and just have a baseball person evaluate yeah. what they have That'd to say. That'd be great. And that actually should be something that they do is, here's what the computer says and the numbers bear out. Here's what a baseball person mm-hmm. has, a true baseball person who just has eyes on the game and isn't looking at the numbers has to say about each of these teams and see how they stack up. Michelle, analytics also don't, don't like the blues, by the way. Great. And so there, there's this thing in uh, analytics called expected goals. Yeah. And the blues pay zero attention to expected goals. And I guess NHL teams are generally that way because you, expected goals are goals that are shots that are taken in the crease, but there is no differentiation between, for example, Jordan Bennington or Ville Husso. An expected goal is an expected goal, and it really doesn't take into account the goalie or how the goalie is playing. Which is probably the most important factor. I would say so. I would <laughs> so, say that's pretty important. <laughs> yeah, maybe factor that in next time. Right, and there's also no differentiation between Vladimir Tarasenko and Robert Bortuzzo. You know, our good friend Tony LaRusso says, men, not machines. That's the bottom line. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up on 101 ESPN, 
The Cardinals have some people that have not performed well lately. Who needs to perform better for the Cardinals to exceed expectations, to get more than 79.6 wins? That's next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals have some veterans that starting Thursday need to be better than they were last year. Michelle and Randy with you. And Michelle, we just got a text from Lisa when we promoted this segment. And she texts in from the 618, Morning all, Tommy Edmond has to be better. Hmm. Have a great day. Two days till we raise our to our feet over and over and over again. Or we just stay up, LOL. That's from Lisa. And Tommy Edmond is a guy who probably will not lead off this year like he did last year. But he does need to have better than a 308 on base to be what he can be offensively. And by the way, I think you play him every day at second because he won the gold glove. Right. But he does need to be better. And he hasn't had a great spring training time. Nope. Edmund hasn't. So he absolutely does. And I know spring training is just practice, and you need to take it with a grain of salt if you see positive or negative results out of spring training, especially a truncated spring training mm-hmm. like this one. But Still, you'd rather see positive results on yeah. spring training. So give me your number one guy, the veteran that you believe needs to be better for the Cardinals to exceed expectations. Okay, so it's going to be kind of a two-for-one, and let me explain. So I think a lot of people, when they think about this exercise, the first person that probably pops into their head is Paul DeYoung, right? Paul mm-hmm. DeYoung is someone that we've identified as a person that needs to get back to form. He has identified himself as a person that needs to get back to form. He he wants to regain what we saw from him in 2019. But when I look at the conversation surrounding Paul DeYoung and about how he was great in 2019, that's the standard that we hold for him. Mm-hmm. He dealt with COVID stuff in 2020, and then he was dealing with injuries and was two in his head last year. Every single thing in that timeline also applies to my selection for the guy that I think has to be better for the Cardinals this season, and that's Jack Flaherty. When you go back to 2019, second half of the season, we all know, .91 ERA. We we know the history. We know how absolutely dominant he was. He was embarrassing guys in Mm -hmm. the second half, and that's the standard that we hold Jack Flaherty to. When we think about 2020, not his fault. Everything that that he dealt with there, he was limited to just nine starts and four wins. Pandemic shortened season, he was on a leash. Not his fault. Then, when we go to 2021, He had that oblique strain, and that was something that really plagued him throughout the season. Just like Paul DeYoung with an injury last year, just like a pandemic season Mm -hmm. slash COVID in 2020. Yet it seems like the conversation surrounding Jack Flaherty isn't the same as it is surrounding Paul DeYoung. Perhaps that's because he's injured and we're not seeing him Mm -hmm. right now. So he's in a different uh, bucket, if you will, a different conversation. But the best ability, Randy, as you say, is availability. But when Jack Flaherty is available, because he absolutely will be, and if he's healthy, and I imagine if he's available, he is healthy, he needs to get back to 2019 form. The standard yeah. that we have set for him, he needs to match it. And I, I completely throw out the COVID year because everybody was messed up by the COVID right, year. And exactly. He was as messed up as anybody. But last year, when he was healthy, 9-2 and two with a 3.22. We tend to focus in on that second half of 2019, but overall, 11 and 8 in 196 innings with a 2.75. And just throw the one loss out the window. But 
Here's the thing. If he could get back to giving you a 2.75 ERA over 196 innings, regardless of when it happens in the season, that is what we need to see out of Jack Flaherty because he is, and as much as we love Adam and what he's done, you don't go into a season generally saying, okay, we're a World Series team and we've got a 40-year-old number one starter. He is a freak of nature. Adam is. Yeah. But it's almost unfair to say, okay, Mr. 40-year-old, give us 200 innings again for a second consecutive year and do what you did at the age of 39. It's just unfair. But Jack Flaherty is supposed to be that horse. And not only is he supposed to be that horse, he is expecting to get paid like one. Mm-hmm. And with your your contract year looming, this is your opportunity to show that you are, in fact, second half of 2019 Jack Flaherty. And again, I know the injuries are things outside of his control and he's doing everything he can to feel good and get back. But when he does get back, Back, I think that this is the season where excuses are out the window. Just like with Paul DeYoung, how mm-hmm. a lot of people wanted the Cardinals to go out in a in a rich offseason with options for them to upgrade at shortstop. And they said, we're committing to Paul DeYoung because we expect him to get back to 2019 form. The same expe- expectations and standards should be held for Jack Flaherty. Yeah. Another guy, to me, Michelle, that's in that same boat is Jordan Hicks. Last year, the last time he pitched was May 1st. So we have not seen him for June, July, August, September of last year. We didn't see him at all in 2020. And in 2019, he didn't pitch after June. So he's pitched 10 major league games since since the Blues won the Stanley Cup. When you put it like that, wow. Because that feels like forever ago. It does. And it was forever ago. Yeah. So he's a guy that needs to find his way back onto the mound, whether it's as a starter or as a reliever on a regular basis. Because when the Cardinals brought him up, they counted on him to be a big part of their future. And he still has great stuff. But he's a guy that... Wherever they slot him in, they don't have anybody that can do what he does or provide the quality that he can provide. I look at Jordan Hicks as a guy that absolutely needs to be better and more available than he's been over the course of the last two and a half seasons. Think about the two people we just talked about, Jack Flaherty and Jordan Hicks. If those two players were to reach what we're talking about, the expectations or the standards that we've set for them, what does this team look like? Pakoda would explode. (laughs) It really would, yeah. (laughs) By the way... Just to give you that idea, and I said since the the Blues won the Stanley Cup, uh, the last time he pitched was June 22nd of 2019, basically a week after the Blues had won. Well, they announced that he was going to get his Tommy John surgery on the day that I was getting my tattoo applied. Really? Yeah. So we did the show over at the Ink Spot in St. Peter's. Yeah. And while we were doing the fast lane for those four hours, we were talking a lot about Jordan Hicks as I was getting my tattoo applied. Of course you remember that. <laughs> it's unforgettable. And then <laughs> let me, let's give folks one other one, Michelle, and that's Dakota Hudson. Yep. Now, we, as Cardinal fans, fully expect him to come back and be 100% after Tommy John surgery and pitch the way he did two years ago when he won 17 games. Certainly not a guarantee, but he did pitch well down the stretch last year when he came back. And especially with the losses, the biggest loss was KK because he provided some innings. But when you think about Lester and Hap not being around, you need to have somebody that can fill in reliably in those spots that those two filled in the second half of last year. And Dakota Hudson is that guy. 
You could have the same conversation about Miles Michaelis, too. Right. About coming back. Yeah, from- those two 11 games last year. Hudson and Michaelis combined for 11 games last year. There's a, a lot of guys, Randy, that we need yeah. to be to be right. better and to be healthy and available. Just to be healthy. Yeah, just right. to be healthy and available. And a, bar, a big part of that is luck. The Cardinals need a little bit of luck on their side, too. And that, that could happen. It's happened before. Every team needs luck. Think about the 2015 team. I think we all thought when Adam got hurt coming out of that batter's box in Milwaukee, tore his Achilles, we thought, oh, it's over. And they go on and win 100 games. Yeah. So you just need to find that guy that can step up and be really good for you. Ugh, stupid Cubs, a season early, playoffs, that was brutal. Kyle blanking Schwarber. Jeez. Except we would have loved him here. Yeah, maybe. Except he's a former Cub. Yeah, but we would have loved him. Yeah, we probably would have. Come on, he hits one monster home run into Big yeah. Mac land. We love him. Yeah, he's our guy. It, hit it on top of the scoreboard. That'd be great. <laughs> Seen it before. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Our text line, 65780. Michelle, Randy, and Matthew with you for Take It or Leave It. By the way, Harrison Bader coming up in about 13 minutes. So stick around here on 101 ESPN. Michelle, sad news. Thoughts and prayers for Gunu, the rapper shot and killed last uh, or Friday, March 18th at the age of 24 in Washington, D.C. And video clips have gone viral that show Gunu's deceased body standing upright at a club farewell event. An event titled The Last Show was held in celebration of Gunu's life at Bliss Nightclub in Washington, D.C., and clips from the gathering quickly began going viral on social media, appearing to show the rapper's corpse standing upright on stage. And apparently this is something that in other cultures is a regular thing. You put a dead body where they would have enjoyed hanging out. So take it or leave it. When you go, you would be bothered if they had you sitting in a cardinal seat. Yeah, I'm going to take that. I don't. You'd be bothered. The de- the dead Michelle would be bothered. Yeah, I d- I don't want dead Michelle to be chilling up. Pushed. I'm with you. I don't either. I don't. I don't want, know why they would do that to Gunu. I don't think that was fair. I don't want my corpse. Everyone side eyeing my corpse at no. Bush Stadium. I don't, I don't want my dead body to be going viral. Going viral, right? Yeah, I don't want that. No. <laughs> yeah, there's pictures now, out on the interwebs of Gunu, the dead Gunu at the club. Yeah, I don't. Not dancing much. Now, question. Uh, they got him dressed up nice. You know, they had his clothes on there. They had his chain. His hat was on, you know. So as in life, you, you're doing death. I like it. Who is responsible for dressing the corpse? That's what I want to know. That's a great question. Is it a buddy? Maybe it's the same one he died in. But, I mean, the, if he was shot, I'm sure there was blood everywhere. You're not going to just... That might be. He's got a uh, hoodie on that says Amiri, A-M-I-R-I. Hmm. And there's he's he's wearing some... Jeans and stuff. And by the way, no disrespect to Bush Stadium. If dead Michelle was going to be anywhere, put her on a boat. Okay. Did you ever read about or hear about the Steelers fan that died in his Barco Lounger and was buried in his Barco Lounger just wearing his Steelers gear? They just picked up the chair with him. (laughs) Hey, it's efficient. It really is. Yeah. And I guess they built a, a... 
fit to uh, or, or, or a coffin to fit the, around the chair. They built it around him and just buried him in that stuff. Where would you want dead Randy's body to be chilling? Oh, you just put me in the oven. That's, I'm I'm fine if you just throw my ashes somewhere. No, no, no. Oh, I mean, okay. So we're gonna do a, a club event. You, no, I just mean hypothetical. You said you would my okay. corpse want to be at Bush Stadium, okay. and I said no. Put her on a boat in the Amalfi mm-hmm. Coast. Have a spritz in her oh, hand. You know what? Where would you want to be? Uh, yeah. If you could have me, if you could prop me up at like. Number six at uh, at Fox Run. That'd be fun. Okay. Just on the tee box. Just prop me up with my, my new driver. What if I just Velcro you to the cart and drive you around? Oh, that'd be fun. That'd be good. Yeah, <laughs> I can handle that. <laughs> now, I hope you don't have any speed bumps. That could be... Yeah, right. <laughs> that could be aggressive. That could be aggressive. Um, okay. So, uh, and R.I.P. Gunu. One of my favorites. You know what? Gone too soon. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, gone too soon. What a bummer, Randy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and honestly, justice for Gunu, too. I hope justice they find his Gunu. murder. <laughs> With the number four. Justice f- number four, Gunu. Right. Hashtag. G-O-O-N-E-W. Hashtag justice for <laughs> Gunu. So, uh, guys, I texted you some photos yesterday. The crowds for Tigers practice oh round at the Masters were bananas. It's unbelievable the star power that this guy has and how people are so attracted to him and they want to watch him do anything. It's amazing. And if you haven't seen the photos, they're online, hundreds, thousands of people deep and people are excited. They're excited about Tiger. So I saw friend of the show, friend in life, Chris Long tweet this. And so I'm going to take Chris Long's tweet and propose it to you guys as a Teoli. Take it or leave it. No one person means more to their sport than Tiger means to golf. I will 100% take that in terms of crowds, like you saw at Augusta National, in terms of television ratings, in terms of success. I don't think there's anybody even close to Tiger Woods. And in regards to visibility, expansion, Mm -hmm. ways he shifted the game, because you can make the argument for any one of several people in the NFL, Tom Brady, of course, but then you could also make the argument for Aaron Rodgers. There's a lot of people in the NFL that you can make that argument for. Okay, let's go to the NBA, LeBron. Sure, LeBron is in a lot of ways a standalone figure and means a lot to the NBA, but look at how many other stars there are. Look at the Steph Currys of the world and the way that he's changed the game. Look at Giannis. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys that you could make the argument for. And same thing with hockey. I don't think it's it's even remotely close either. Think about this, Michelle. The PGA awards an $8 million bonus for the player that provides the most positive reinforcement online for the tour. Tiger didn't play last year and won that. Crazy. <laughs> but not not at all unexpected. No, not at all. All right, uh, Matthew Rocchio has your text, 65780. 636, take it or leave it. Binner will be the first buyout in Army's tenure. No team can pay $8 million for two goalies and be competitive. I'm going to leave that. And by the way, I don't think that Huso is going to be anywhere next year for only $2 million. He's an unrestricted free agent. Half the league will be after Billy Huso. Yeah. But no, I don't think the Blues will buy out $30 million. And I think they have to pay two-thirds of that. So it would be $20 million. Two-thirds of 30 is 20, right? I don't think the Blues... I just thought math. I don't think the Blues will pay that sum. I think they'd rather take their chances on trying to get him to bounce back. And... They, as bad as it looks to us, they don't believe it's as bad as it looks to us. The Blues don't. I would love to have some concrete reasons why. Because everybody says that. Everyone we speak to talks about Mm -hmm. how they still have faith in him. And I understand wanting to because they they see him Mm -hmm. in a different lens than we do. They see him behind the scenes. They see him working. 
But what we see on the ice and then the conversation surrounding it about it being mental, I don't know. That that to me is not a, a linear path to finding a solution. I agree with you. And it's it's very tenuous, right? Like if it, if it's if it's physical, you have a timeline, four to six weeks, and and we can figure it out. Or if it's hey, you're doing this when you're in the crease. Let's watch the video. This is something that I'm seeing, and I know that it's easily fixable. If it's mental, if it's confidence, if it's mental health, if it's anxiety, whatever it is that we're going to speculate on, that's stuff that doesn't necessarily go away. It's stuff Mm -hmm. that you you have to learn how to manage and deal with and that could pop up at any time. And I I don't know. I just think that that's a, a more tricky solution. It seems to me that if he does bounce back and turns great again, it's going to be because they get lucky. I don't think it's going to be because, and it might be, maybe they're just such great coaches. But when we've seen guys bounce back in the past, it seems like, oh, well, they kind of fell into him getting back to what he was. Most of the guys, when they fall off the cliff, they don't wind up bouncing back. The one thing about Jordan Bennington, and if it is confidence that we're talking about, I go back to 2019 when this guy thrived in a pressure cooker. This guy said, do I look nervous? Mm-hmm. No, I'm not. And After, then in- and you know what's interesting, Michelle? Sorry to interrupt. No, it was after a loss, and somebody made the point to me last night. Jordan Bennington has not faced the media after a loss in two years. Wow, really? Because of the pandemic, only the yeah. win, only the, yeah. the, the the losing goalie never showed up on Zoom. And mm. uh, from what I was told is that he thrives on that. He thrives on being questioned. Well, look at 2020 when he didn't have the crowds and the energy, and that yep. that was all yep. these external factors are real things. And y- whether that's what he needs to self motivate or that's what he needs to get his comp, should mm. we just go down to Enterprise Center and surround his locker and start what we need to do. firing <laughs> questions off at him? Be like. Jordan, explain yourself. Everyone's doubting you. What's going on? Just rile him up and get him angry? I think that's it. I think that's what we need for him. Should we take one for the team here? Yeah. He'll thank us later. This is a guy that he had the Tom Brady chip on his shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe we need to find a way to get that chip back on his shoulder. It's hard after you sign a six-year, $36 million contract and everything's great and you win in your, your rookie year. He needs to find a way to get that chip back on his shoulder. He's got to go back down to the minors, like, he, and go back to December uh, 2019, and you know, two hands slash some guy in the legs. I have really, really fired him up for that run. Yeah, right. Let's get one more here uh, from the three, two, one. What? Uh, take it or leave it. Nolan Gorman will have more starts at second base than Tommy Edmond by the All Star break. I'm going to leave. That. I'll leave that too. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I really do think Michelle that even with the changes that have been made and the philosophy of the Cardinals, this is still a team that spends and cares about, spends on and cares about defense. And I would venture to guess that Nolan Gorman will never be a better defensive second baseman than Tommy Eben is. That's just my thought. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to remove a gold glover from that position. No. I, I got to see where the 3 one area code is. I like it. It's from Orlando. Oh. So, 3 one There you go. Uh, thank you, Matthew. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Harrison Bader. Cardinals getting ready for their final preseason game. He'll join us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Michelle, literally days before spring training started, I saw Harrison Bader at the Ascension Charity Classic press conference. He's such a great representative of our town. And I said, hey, we got to get you on during spring training. So here we are the last day of spring training. And we have Harrison Bader with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Harrison with Michelle. This is Randy. How you doing? Hey, doing well, guys. Good to be here. Harrison, I know, speaking of you representing St. Louis, that you were very involved in Mardi Gras this year. Was that your first St. Louis Mardi Gras? And if so, what did you think? It was my first St. Louis Mardi Gras audition. It was my first Mardi Gras ever. Um, I thought it was great. You know, I thought there were, I mean, there were literally like hundreds of thousands of people out there. Um, so it was just, you know, awesome to, to see St. Louis, like, come out and support such an historic event as, you know, as Mardi Gras is. So, yeah, it was great. Harrison, uh, shortened spring training. How has this gone for you, and do you feel ready for Thursday afternoon? I mean, you know, quite honestly, putting everything aside, you know, you always prepare your mind, and, you know, you never want to panic. So regardless of the length of spring training this year, I know we're all prepared. I know I'm certainly prepared mentally, and it's really most important. You know, you could feel really, really good one day physically, and, maybe not really understand how or why you had success maybe. And other days, you know, you feel amazing and you just don't have success. So it really is kind of random, but constant always has to be the the mental preparation and, you know, the mental intention behind everything you do on that field. So from that aspect, we're absolutely ready. You had to deal with, obviously, the rib injury last year. You've had some stuff over the years. Are you better now? I guess you almost have to be better now at playing when you don't feel 100%. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I really was hurt all of last year. Whether it was just a sore flexor tendon or, you know, my ribs happening after a freak injury. But, <clears throat> you know, again, I just have a tremendous, um, you know, medical staff surrounding me that helped me every step of the way, you know, and getting ready to go out there and play nine innings. And I have my teammates' support. So, um, yeah, you might be a little dinged up. But, you know, when you have such good teammates and you're surrounded by such professionals, on the medical side, you really you really can't fail. So, um, so yeah. Well, Harrison, it didn't impact your performance at all. Obviously, a gold glove winner. And I don't think we've spoken to you since then. So first of all, congratulations. That's amazing. But second of all, I I was reading an article last night where you were saying that great defense is absolutely contagious and that you talked about having the guys around you be so great that it it elevates your level of play. I'm just curious, is there any sort of internal competitions that you guys have from a defensive standpoint where you guys try to push one another? We speak to Adam Wainwright every week. And I remember last season he talked to us about little contests that the pitching staff might have about getting the first strike or things like that. Is there any way that you guys kind of push one another from a, con- a contest standpoint? Yeah, I mean, the pitchers definitely do have some fun contests that they engage in, you know, in spring training. They do a lot of PFP work and everything. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, from from just like everybody else in the field that isn't a pitcher, you know, I think the competition is really just not really spoken of. It's more of just a standard by which we operate, you know, Um you know, those guys on the infield are, I mean, constantly, constantly, constantly taking ground balls, putting their bodies in different positions to make good throws, you know, to whoever's receiving it, whether it's to turn double play or, you know, Goldie over at first. Um, you know, Nolan's just takes so many hard ground balls and, you know, some soft ground balls where his body is just moving all over the place and his, his body control. I mean, I think a lot of it is really just the standard. Um, we kind of compete and who can make the most – um, who can make the most routine plays without making an error all season? You know, I think that that's like a, something we don't necessarily talk about. It's just kind of a given, you know, and obviously the diving plays and all the great plays are 
are nice, don't get me wrong, but you know, good defense is about making every single routine play and not giving up extra bases at all, ideally at all. Um, and, you know, when you have everybody on the field that just takes so much care and focus, it helps us win. Um, and I think defense is absolute um, in the work you put in, and there are a lot of controllable factors. So, um, yeah, you know, we've talked about a lot of late. <laughs> Harrison Bader is with us on 101 ESPN. Harrison, congratulations on the two-year contract. How much difference does it make for you to know that you're going to be here, that you, you don't have to go to arbitration, that you're going to be able to play the next two years without any of those distractions that the business side of baseball provide? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely reassuring. Um, you know, as you just mentioned, you know, the, the business side, um, you know, I just thought that the agreement that my camp came to, you know, with, with the Cardinals was one that I was willing to, to kind of gamble on and bet on as there are a number of you know, player incentives. And I'd rather bet on myself um, than any arbitration process. And it's not to, you know, be disrespectful in any manner. It's just if there's one person that can control, you know, gaining the entirety of that um, two-year contract. It really is me and my level of health and my performance in, in gaining, you know, those played appearances and games played. So, um, you know, I'm always willing to bet on myself. And, um, and yeah, you know, in terms of, like, what it changes for me day-to-day, it changes nothing, you know. The Cardinals organization is always about having as many winning players as possible on the roster, and I've always, you know, considered myself to be a winning player. I've always trained to be a winning player. So, you know, it is nice to get the two-year thing, but it, it means more than that to me. You know, it just it really just gets things out of the way. I can solely just focus on one thing on my plate, and that's continuing to be that winning player for the Cardinals. And hopefully after this one, there'll be a, another one down the road. And we'll get to that winning player comment in a few moments. But you have been, are, and now will be the senior member of the outfield. And last year when we talked, you talked about how you you kind of wanted to take a leadership role with Dylan and with Tyler because they hadn't been around. Can you tell us, you mentioned communication, but you've also got your text line going. What what are some of the latest things that you guys talk about on your text conversation among the outfielders? (laughs) I mean, a lot of it just is just some fun stuff. Uh, nothing, Nothing too crazy or anything. We really do keep it light. Um, but you know, the, the leadership role thing, you know, I, I think that in my experience, especially in baseball, you know, leaders emerge when situations call on them. You know, I've never wanted to specifically be a leader. I've never wanted to, you know, try and lead. I think that when it happens organically, um, it's most effective. And I think that just simply because of the position I'm in literally on the field physically, you know, the center fielder has to constantly check on his corner outfielders constantly have to be in communication as, you know, I cover a lot of ground and I'm in the middle of the field and I'm opposite, you know, of Yachty. So in, in many ways, it's like the reverse catcher. So um, I think that that role just emerges because of, you know, the situation. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's one where you just have to take the, the bull by the horns. Um, you know, you can't be a church mouse out there. You know, you got to be loud. You got to be willing to scream. You got to be <clears throat> willing to do things that sometimes have nothing to do with me. You know, the ball could be down the corner and or maybe he's receiving a fly ball and, you know, I'm, I'm now his set of eyes as he's focusing on making the play. So all these little things that just, you know, make their jobs easier um, is, is something that is now on my plate. So just stepping into that and, and being as good of a teammate as I possibly can for them, regardless of my own personal success, is something that I just will always continue to work on. So, um, 
Yeah, you know, I mean, there, there definitely are some leadership aspects of being a center fielder, but I definitely haven't seeked them out. Um, it's just something that the that the job calls for. Well, Harrison, if you were going to seek them out, I can't imagine that you would have a, a richer group of guys to learn from. When I look at that clubhouse, the leadership in that clubhouse is off the charts when you have Albert Pujols now returning to the Cardinals, Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, just to even name a few. That's an incredible group of guys that are resources for you and that can be mentors to you as well. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you just said, and I would echo that in saying that, you know, 2022 is just going to be a great year from that aspect. Um, there's always learning to be done. There's, there's always things that you can pick up on. Um, and sometimes those things, you know, they they come in waves. And, and this year, you know, we have a, a, a large wave, if you will, um, of just tremendous um, experience, both on and off the field in Albert. Um, and, and his addition to this clubhouse is one that I, I'm, I'm very excited about. Um, and just the type of leader, you know, he's been and, and from what I've heard, I mean, like you said, it doesn't get better on the show. So I'm just excited to just soak it all up. And I'm really just excited to see what 22 has in store for the birds. Um, okay, one more thing about the gold glove, Harrison. I got to circle back to that. I was reading an article uh, that John Denton wrote last night, and you talked about seeing that gold patch on your glove. You said it's a cool aesthetic look that you notice it during games and you kiss it at night. So what's the routine? Is it on your nightstand? Is it a little ritual you do before you go to bed? Tell us about how you kiss it at night. <laughs> Honestly, I think that was slightly taken out of context. I meant more like, you know, like if I have a night game, um, you know, Part of my routine now is after, you know, whatever I do, what I do, I just give it a little peck. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, listen, I just, yeah, I think, I think it's nice to just take a split second, you know, maybe every day when I put that glove on to remind myself of, of the hard work. And if anything, it's just a, you know, a, a precursor to what's to come. Um, you know, it's nice to reflect on, on the hard work you've done, but in my opinion, it really doesn't mean anything if you can't back it up um, or maybe it just doesn't mean as much. So, Again, you know, you never arrive in this game. Um, you know, you're always trying to get better. You're always trying to learn. So um, I'm just going to continue to do that. And maybe one day the, the color will change and it'll be platinum. But um, who knows? You know, I've, I have no idea what's in store. We'll see. Hey, Harrison, one last thing. And I gave you the stat when we were at that golf event. But I want to ask you from a different perspective. If I tell you that a player last year – when he played, his team was 61 and 40. And when he didn't play, his team was 29 and 32. 21 games over 500 when the guy plays. The team is three games under when he doesn't play. What does that tell you about that player? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of what you're talking about right now. <laughs> and I'll just, I'll just say this you know, there's, there, there's baseball is, is a team sport. Um, it's a team sport for the guys that are on. The field starting that day, it's a team sport for the guys that come in off the bench, and it's a team sport you know, for all the guys that are behind the scenes, keeping everybody ready and, and locked in. So, yeah, I mean, that, that statistic is nice, but, you know, I, every single night we win or lose, you know, we do it together. Um, and, you know, there's no single individual with the maybe exception of, you know, a pitcher throwing a perfect game, and maybe, you know, we had one home run and the other guy threw an almost perfect game, you know. Um, there's really no way that any single individual can carry a team and especially for that long of a stretch. So, um, you know, that statistic is nice. Don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, there, there, there's so many dudes in that clubhouse that contribute mm -hmm. on a nightly basis that, you know, I, that number, as far as I'm concerned, really, it really means nothing, but I, I do appreciate that. That was, that was very kind of you to, to bring up. 
Well, and you mentioned that you want to be a winning player, and that to me is one of the things that defines a winning player for me, is when, especially an important player at an important position, when the team wins when he's there. Hey, we're so excited to have you on the show and can't wait till you're back in town tomorrow. Hopefully we'll have good weather for the workout and then have fun on opening day. It doesn't get any better than opening day in St. Louis, does it? Oh, yeah, no, no doubt about it. I can't wait, and it's going to be a great year for us. All right. Harrison, take care, and have a good one today. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I'll talk to you guys soon. You too. Thanks. That is the Cardinal Center Fielder, Harrison Bader on 101 ESPN. Can you give that stat again? Because I yeah. I know you had mentioned it to it to him at the mm-hmm. golf event, so he was aware of what yeah, you were talking right. about. But I don't think people realize fully how important Harrison Bader is to this Cardinals team. So if you could just give that stat again, Randy. And by, let's also point out that John Mozeliak, when we would talk to him about June, he said, don't forget, because we always asked about Flaherty getting right, hurt. He said, right. don't forget that Bader got hurt in that same on that same road trip. And when Harrison Bader played last year, he played 101 games, or uh, no, I'm sorry, 81 games, 61 and 60 and 41, 101 games, 60 and 41, when 61 and 40 when he played 101 games. When he didn't play, the Cardinals were 29 and 32. They finished 92 and 70. They finished 22 game or uh, 12 games over 500. Is that right? Whatever. 22 games over. There were 21 games over when he played. That's the bottom line. X factor. Yeah, 61 and 40 when when he played in 29 and 32 when he didn't. I know that math is correct. I can do the addition. I can't just do the other things. Subtraction, <laughs> multiplication, division. We were told there'd be no math. You know? <laughs> we, we were. So it, it'll be good to have him healthy for a whole season. I would be really interested to see what this particular group of players does if Harrison Bader plays 145 games. And by the way, how refreshing is it? For him, anytime we talked about the gold glove or things that he had done personally, he always talks about the team as a whole mm-hmm. and about the team's success. Yeah. Isn't that what you want from from a player on your team? Should that's, be thinking about everyone together. Yeah. That's the kind of guy that you give contract extensions to. Yep. And he wants to be a Cardinal for life. He looks around and he wants to be a Cardinal for life. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, a good win for the Blues last night. We're going to talk about that and more with Darren Pang next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid-County. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. It's always great to see Darren Pang, as I did last night at Enterprise Center. Always great to hear him every Tuesday morning here on your radio home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. Panger, how you doing? Well, I'm doing very well there, uh, Michelle and, and Randy. I'm, I'm uh, out in the rain walking uh, my little dog, Brucey. So and how's, uh, how's Brucey doing? Brucey's a happy camper, except that it is raining, and now his hair's getting all wet, and now my hair head's getting all wet. So, <laughs> but other than that, uh, Randy, it's going very well. Uh, well, I'm sorry that you guys are getting wet. That's a bummer, especially for Brucey, because he'll have to shake that off. But, Darren, last night the Blues with another strong win, and following up that strong road trip with a performance at home and a, a clean game last night, I thought was pretty important for the Blues. Yeah, Michelle, I agree with you. I think... You know, we've seen it happen so often with the with the team, not just the Blues, with a lot of the teams that are, you know, that are teams that are, you know, used to winning or used to playing teams with a lot of structure. And, you know, going up against a team last night, like uh, like the Coyotes, where, 
even me at uh, at ice level. I mean, I watch enough hockey games, but when you're sitting there and there's you know seven, eight, or nine, you know, basically American Hockey League players that you you don't really know a lot about. The only guys that would know a lot about those players would be pro scouts from teams that go to the American Hockey League a lot. <laughs> um, but honestly, for the Blues players, you know, I've been watching and. You know, guys racing by them, and he's number 61, 75, 73. They're kind of, you know, you look at names, you look at numbers, you look at, well, what's his tendency? So, I mean, there's not a lot of familiarity. And, and so with that, there's, you know, there's not a lot of animosity and there's not a lot of intensity. But the Blues, I thought, hey, you know what, they, they, they probably should have scored, what, eight or nine last night. They hit five posts. So, I um, mean, you know, really just a good game. Get that one out of the way. Get your two points. Uh, go away unscathed. Play fairly well structurally and move the puck around, and, and so they did that. So uh, really great job after coming off a, a hard, you know, Western Canadian road trip, uh, real, especially the last game, real heavy game against the Calgary Flames and playing maybe their best period in a long time in that third period in Calgary. Panger, we, we talk a lot about analytics, and you, because of all the work you do, both locally and nationally, you're well aware of and, and versed in analytics. But the Blues are not an analytics darling, and I'm of the opinion that they're just good at winning. They, they find ways, even though they aren't uh, an analytics-driven team, they, they find ways to be good. Is that foolish? Is that too shallow? Or are there teams that are just good at winning? Well, I, I guess it depends on, on what analytics, you know, people like. Um, you know, at Valley Sports, we, uh, we've um, been using a, a company called Sport Logic, And, uh, you know, there's you know, a lot of the numbers that, that we've been using are, you know, whether defending, you know, defending the cycle, defending the rush um, on the defensive side of it, uh, defending the slot, um, how many quality chances are given up, um, which is really subject to, you know, different point of views um i think it's fairly close to what the blues use um the other part of it is is you know on the offensive side of it i think that they're having their best year that i can remember at uh, generating scoring chances from the in the slot um you know how many times in the in the past well i've been here 13 years how many times have we seen vladdy you know get to the you know the, really the slot the most dangerous area of the ice and get a pass from the you know from the face-off dot where that's a difficult play for the defenseman or the goaltender to make, where you go dot to the slot and then you get a quality chance. You know, because of that relationship and that chemistry that he has with Robert Thomas, you know, we're one of the best teams at that right now. And Robert Thomas is one of the best guys in the entire NHL at, at, at getting pucks to the slot in, in quality scoring areas. So, there, I mean, there's a load of things that, uh, that I think they're doing really well uh, on that side of it. And, you know, on the offensive side of it, the only thing that doesn't match up that people don't understand is, is the volume of shots. The Blues have never been, under Craig Berube, a team that wastes shots from the, from the outside or funnels shots like Ken Hitchcock used to want them just to be funneling shots from the side. I can tell you from a goalie's point of view, I'd love that because you're feeling the pucks from bad angles all the time. You're in the game. But the Blues don't do that. They wear you down and wear you down and wear you down and bang, you get a great scoring chance from the slot. So, Although they don't, you know, again, have a lot of volume, they've got a ton of quality when they finally do get a scoring chance. And, Panger, don't you think that's been a difference for the Blues in the past few games, that they're playing their style of play? I know they talked about it before the game last night, but if they play Blues style of hockey, they can really beat anybody. Yeah, Michelle, you, you are right. And I, I like that Craig said that. I mean, because, you know, I think he went into that press conference yesterday morning uh, knowing that the question was going to be, is, is this a trap game? You know, it's a non-playoff <laughs> game. And, and uh 
you know, it, I liked his answer. It, you know, it's like this is about us now. This is about us looking at our, at, at video and focusing on what we're doing or what we're not doing. And here's what we're going to do. And so, you know, it, it's a little different when you're playing, you know, let's say you're playing a team like, like Colorado or you're playing a team like, uh, boy, uh, even on the other side, Pittsburgh. You know, Pittsburgh Penguins have about 15 set plays off face-offs. Well, you do have to be mindful of what they do um, and be concerned about some of these things and be prepared for them. But in, in games like last night's game, no, just worry about yourself. That's for sure. And they, and they took care of business and they had some fun along the way. The boys were laughing. You know, not laughing on the bench, but they were having fun. And they were playing well. And they knew they were going to ride away with that win last night. Panger Kelly Rosen got another opportunity last night. What's been your impression of Rosen? Yeah, good. You know, really good. Um, I almost forgot. We were talking so much about uh, Carl Boom Boom Gunnarsson last night. <laughs> I, I think I said on the air, we've got no more Swedes. And then I look over to my right, and there's Rosen. Um, very, very much like... Uh, like Boom Boom, um, a very quiet, reserved guy, um, communicates well on the bench, um, solid on the ice. I mean, there was a number of plays last night where he jumped into the play or kept pucks in, um, you know, uh, in the offensive zone, got down real low on a, on a cycle or, or on a pinch to keep it alive. No, I think he's, I think he's solid. I think he's, he's kind of the kind of defenseman that playoff teams were looking for at the trade deadline. You know, so I think we have, you know, a nice hidden little gem sitting right there in our system that we know that we can recall. We know that if there's any issues whatsoever with the left side, uh, that, that, he, that he can play. So, no, I'm very pleased with Callie, and he gets along really well with, with the group here, and that, that's always very, very important. Panger, you talked about this with Vladimir Tarasenko after the game last night about Robert Thomas and the difference in his game now than in previous years. What are you seeing from him right now that's contributing to this team's success? Yeah, and I like what, you know, what Vladdy said. I mean, confidence is, is such a big thing. I, I mean, when you're a young kid and you make a mistake and, you know, you might, you, you might uh, you know, your shoulders might get down a little bit lower. You kind of wear your emotions, uh, you know, and you, you get up and you get down. And I, I think that's one of the things with, with Robert that I found that, um, you know, keeping him pumped up and keeping him feeling good and, and uh, giving him the responsibility that he's always had throughout his life. Um, and now he's getting that. Now he's, he's got one leg over the boards when the game's on the line. And, uh, boy, I've I got to tell you, and everybody's watching Robert Thomas, but he's, he's just a heck of a player right now. And, and I, think, I think it's only going to get better. I mean, he gets up the ice and he sees the ice and he turns on a dime and he makes plays, and you better be ready and have your stick on the ice when he's got it because he's going to find you. And it's really been special to watch him play. Panger, one last thing, and much has been made this season of the Blues playing to the level of their competition. That's why one of the one of the reasons that I think it was nice to see the Blues dominate Arizona last night, but another team tomorrow night that the Blues should dominate in Seattle, and you just can't let your foot off the pedal, can you, when you're playing teams like that because you're going to have another big one on Wednesday or on Friday against Minnesota. So when you have those quote-unquote easy points, you have to grab them. Yeah, yeah, you do. And, and, you know, I've done a number of Seattle games uh, uh, for TNT and I've been, I've been out there to beautiful Seattle and, you know, they, they, they don't go away. Um, they're not quite like Arizona where Arizona has, you know, six, seven, eight guys that are like genuinely uh, American Hockey League players right now. Um, you know, Seattle still has NHL players and they've still got some, um, some gumption to their game. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, but it is just another game where you want to trend you want to trend up. You want to take care of the little things and uh, um, and make sure you're defending well in front of your net. Make sure you're handling pucks. And 
I, another thing too is it was a good game for Jordan Cairo to come back to last night. You know, after after being away from the lineup and coming back in and not easing himself in, I thought he played a real smart game, and that's kind of the the play game that the team's got to play there on, on Wednesday against Seattle. Panger, always good to hear your voice. Get to, you and Bruce get in from outside the rain, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, sounds good. You guys have a great day. You too. That's Darren Pang, Blues Analyst on Bally Sports. And Michelle, the reason that I asked about the analytics thing, Dom LeCision every week does a power rankings at The Athletic, and pretty much every week he puts the Blues lower than they should be relative to where they are in the standings. And this week he said, we really wanted to put the Blues higher and squeak them into the top 10, but it's still too hard to justify it with their underlying numbers. Many fans figured those would get better once the team became healthier, but the team has consistently been outchanced this season and that's continued over the course of the month of March. Well, why not deal with the numbers that you have? Why not deal with the, the concrete numbers rather than the underlying numbers? Because, Randy, that would make too much sense. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. so I, I, at some point, you just have to give credit where credit is due and say, even though the underlying numbers aren't what you expect them to be, the team is still pretty good. What about the results? That's the bottom line, isn't it? You <laughs> I play think, to I win think. the game. I would think that that would be more important. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's why I asked the question. And it's not an affront to the analytics. Well, it kind of is an affront to the analytics people. But... I do appreciate this team, even though they're confounding the math experts. I think it's pretty cool that they're doing it. And they did it, by the way, in 2019. They weren't analytics darlings when they won the Stanley Cup either. I was just going to say, if we look back at recent champions in St. Louis, I think we can all agree that the numbers aren't everything. Not everything. That's (laughs) Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, another edition of The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. that time of the show it's time to fight here on character and smallman on 101 espn it's 8 36 in st louis that time check is brought to you by clarkson jewelers an officially licensed rolex jeweler let's welcome in randy's challenger this morning brad is with us here on 101 espn hello brad how's your tuesday oh not too bad how are you guys today you know it's not too bad either we're having a good morning we're we just talked to harrison bader we're gonna chat with uh, mark mcguire later in the show no complaints here either Just about the weather, right? You know, we're inside, so I don't have any complaints right now. But in, let's see. Yeah, the sun doesn't come out at 10.05. We're going to be furious. two or three hours, I'll be upset. But you know what? I would take rain every day from now until Thursday if it meant that the home opener would be at least bearable. Because I was looking at the forecast last night, 30% chance of rain for the home opener. Right. Are you going, Brad? No, I'm not. I have to work that day. Oh, bummer. Well, hopefully you get to watch it on TV. All right, Brad, are you ready to do the fight? Sure. Okay, question number one for Brad. Which school did Kansas beat to win their previous title in 2008? Was it Kentucky, Memphis, or Louisville? I'll go Louisville. 
On opening day in 1910, which U.S. president became the first ever to throw out a quote-unquote first pitch? Was that William Howard Taft, Herbert Hoover, or James Garfield? Herbert Hoover. Question number three, Brad. Alexander Ovechkin recently moved into third on the all-time NHL goals list with his 767th goal passing who? Is it Brad Hall, Gordie Howe, or Yarmir Yager? Gordie Howe. When, the, when Cardinals Hall of Famer Jim Cott retired, he owned the record for the longest pitching career in Major League Baseball history at 25 years. Who now owns that record with a career of 27 years? Is that Nolan Ryan, Jamie Moyer, or Tommy John? Nolan Ryan. Okay, let's check Brad's score here. Yep, confirmed. Waving in Randy. Brad, I hear a dog in the background. What's your dog's name? Hi, it's Zoe. Hi, Zoe. What kind of dog is Zoe? Uh, she's actually just a mutt. Love it. Love a mutt. Randy's getting his headset on. Please say good morning to Brad and Zoe, his dog, who's in the background. Brad, Zoe, good morning. Hope everything is going well for you, too. <laughs> good morning, Randy. It, it's going pretty good today. Good. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. No problem. All right, Randy, are you ready? I am ready. Question number one for Mr. Carricker. Which school did Kansas beat to win their previous national championship title in 2008? I believe that would have been the Memphis Tigers. Memphis, the University of, well, Memphis, formerly Memphis State, but then Memphis. On opening day in 1910, which U.S. president became the first to ever throw out a first pitch? I think it was Billy Taft, right? William Howard Taft? Stuck in the bathtub, right? Allegedly, yeah. I think that's a anachronism. Oh, okay. What? Like I said, it's a fake story. Oh, darn it. like it, though. I think so. I think it was Billy. I'm going to go with uh, Bill Taft, my buddy. 21st president, go. No. Chester A. Arthur. Do you know all of them? No. 32, go. I know that one. Okay. Because that could be a fun game. 32. Randy's got 116, 21. Okay. Down. 35 was Kennedy. 34 okay. would have been Billy Eisenhower, right? Was 32 FDR? Yes, it was. Bingo. Thank you. I wish I had the club horn. Good job, Randy. Oh, thank you. And no, that is not question number three, but here you oh, okay. go. Alexander Ovechkin <laughs> recently moved into third on the all time NHL goals list with his 767th goal. Who did he pass? 767. That's the number, yes. Yeah. And he moved into third behind Gretzky and Howe. So, this is Ovechkin. I would believe that he would have uh, passed Yarmir Yager. When Cardinals Hall of Famer Jim Cott retired, he owned the record for the longest pitching career in Major League Baseball history at 25 years. Who now owns that record with a 27-year career? 27 years of pitching in Major League Baseball. So, Kitty Cott retired in the 80s. Uh, I believe after 83. My guess would be... That if we go from like 1968 to 78, 88, 98, 05, that we're going to get to Nolan Ryan. That's just my guess. You know what? Ring that bell. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! Just win, baby. It was a jack. It's a jack for Randy. Plus, 
plus one because he knew FDR was the 32nd president of our great nation. I'm sorry, Brad. Randy was just locked in today. He beat you four to one. That's all right. I know Megamind's hard to beat sometimes. So He is. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing, Brad. And give Zoe a pet for us. No, I will. You guys have a good day. All right, you take too. Care. Thank you very much. All right. So Memphis is the team that Kansas beat to win their previous title in 2008. Just, just get a hand in his face, Derek no. Rose. Just get a hand in his face. Yeah. Chalmers, right? Yeah. William Howard Taft threw the, quote, first pitch on opening day in 1910. The first Billy, ever. Yeah, President Billy T. Billy T. It was uh, April 14th, 1910, the Senators versus the Athletics. And by the way, according to research, also known as Google, it <laughs> is, in fact, false that Taft got stuck in a bathtub. It says that this myth started because he had custom-made tubs. Many of them were massive. And that one custom tub that Taft had was put on a ship when he went to visit the Panama Canal, and it weighed an actual ton. Wow. I thought it was because he was fat. <laughs> I <thought> Same. That's... <laughs> well, back then you only got fat because you were rich, and then you bought a bunch of nice tubs. Yeah. Yeah. Apocryphal is the word I was looking for. That means it's a myth. But our boy Taft loved him a custom tub. Mm-hmm. Can't blame him. No, that, no, no. that sounds fun. Wouldn't be awesome. any jets. Hey, if I had to take that long of a trip down to Panama, I'd want a tub to lounge in, too. A jacuzzi. <laughs> a whirlpool. Whirlpool, right. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I never understand baths. You're, you're, you're marinating in your own dirt. Hey. Some people love a bath. So. Throw some candles. We, throw, throw on some Frank Ocean. When just relax. we were having our house built. I got the 10-foot pour in the basement to swing golf clubs in the basement. Joan got a big tub with jets. Okay. They never, neither of them ever get used. Really? <laughs> no. I the, the, the basement is a storage area that I don't get to swing clubs in, and the bathtub never gets used. So as technology has happened, mm-hmm. we've left some things in the past. I, w- I just can't believe baths have not been left in the past. We have a shower. It's It's better at least in my it is. opinion i agree I, it just seems so antiquated it's to, so much more efficient to sit in a dirty bath water yeah but for some people it it's cold, a know? method of relaxation though i guess but then it gets cold and then you're bummed out because it's yeah. at first it's too hot and you have to wait a second well, and then you says get the girl in. who went to the cold tub yeah, for like one second <laughs> i did do cryotherapy i did not last the the uh, allotted time yeah, you we'll and ted williams way. he's lasted a long time with oh, this randy okay back to number three <laughs> ovi recently moved into third on the all-time nhl goals list with 767 goals he passed yaramir yager and when jim cott retired he owned the record for the longest pitching career in baseball history at 25 years that record is now held by nolan ryan 27 years for Nolan Ryan. 66 and then 68 through 93. Unbelievable career. Win, 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 win. There we go. You want more? All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Oh, it's too hot. That song always reminds me of Sister Act. That's right, yeah. Good call. Good call. Shout out Dolores Van Cartier. All right. At the top of the hour, Mark McGuire. But coming up next, Mike Claiborne is going to join us from his last day in Jupiter before the season starts. Claib's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Michelle and Randy, and we head to Jupiter via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. I believe we're in Jupiter today with Mike Claiborne. He'll fly home with the team after today's 10 a.m. game. Good morning, sir. Was I correct or am I wrong? Correct Mundo, sir. You are right. Uh, we are packing up. We are ready to go. And uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to this year. Um, Klaibs, after a, a truncated spring training, how ready do you think the team is? I'm wondering, with all teams in baseball, if this first month is just going to be a little bit of a calibration because they didn't have a full spring training. Well, I think you're spot on, Michelle. I don't think anybody's really ready. Uh, I think the key here is trying to make sure you don't get anybody hurt. And we're going to have some injuries. I, I, we've seen some already, but it, it's just around the corner where there'll be some other players, not just pitchers, that will go down. Uh, for one reason or another. And, and, and it could be worse only because of the fact that most players show up to camp already in shape and ready to play, unlike the old days where a guy would put the rubber suit on and, and have to do some running for three or four days before he could actually pick up a ball or a bat. So that that's changed. But I, I think that when you look at everyone at this point, they're all coming out of the gate the same way at the same time. They're all going to have some people who are going to be left behind because of injury. They're all going to have guys they got to keep an eye on because they may have the ability to get hurt here so uh, it's going to be an even steven start but i think your point is very valid claims tony larusa we remember it well in april and may would give guys off especially day games after night game and he say hey i want these guys to be fresh for august and september and if we win that game it's kind of like winning a double header do you believe that ali marmal will take a similar approach will he ease guys in in the first couple of months especially with the shortened spring training Oh, I think you're spot on. Um, he's kind of intimated that already, that he's going to try and make sure he spreads it out with guys where nobody's going to try and break Ripken's record as far as consecutive games play. I, I really look at what he'll try and do every 10 games, maybe every eight games, you'll see guys get a blow. Either they'll come out of the lineup or maybe they'll D8 some people. And he'll probably monitor the catching situation even more with Yachty. Uh, making sure that he's fresh as often as possible. So, yeah, I, I think Ali really understands it. And we have a really good person, our director of performance, Dr. Robert Butler, who has done sleep studies and done a lot of things to make sure that players are at their peak when they get the opportunity to play into how you travel, how you eat, how you sleep on the road. All those things now go into the equation in making sure guys have their best days in front of them. I know that sleep doctors say you should get eight or even more hours of sleep. Is there I any? Wish I could. Uh, me me either. None oh of gosh. us. I don't think any of us three could no. pull off eight hours. I'm lucky if I get five. I don't know anybody who gets eight hours sleep. I don't know anybody who doesn't. And maybe it's just how we're, we're, we're made up, but I don't do it. I've tried uh, many times. I've even tried with the assistance of alcohol, and I still can't sleep. <laughs> Well, and claims with alcohol, you're not getting your REM cycle either because that's disrupting your sleep. It's actually counterintuitive. Yeah, but I feel better, though. Not the next day. I feel better when I close my eyes. Claves, I always love bringing you into our conversation of the day. And one of the things Randy and I were discussing earlier in the show is veterans that need to improve for the Cardinals to exceed expectations. Who's your nominee for that category? Oh, man. Um well, DeYoung, obviously, the way he played the last couple of years, you, you expect improvement from him. And he's shown some improvement here in spring training. He would be the first guy. Um, Miles Michaelis, you're going to need him even more right now. Those would be two guys that you have to have in, uh, improvement from. And, and anticipation of others, you know, Dakota Hudson's a guy that 
you know, we saw flashes of him last year. You hope that after the Tommy John that he's fully recovered. Jordan Hicks would be in that category also. By the way, Jordan Hicks had as good of a spring as I've seen him have since he's been a Cardinal uniform. Not only is he throwing that 100-mile-an-hour fastball, but his slider has incredible movement to it. So um, those are a couple of guys that would stand out initially. Is Hicks in the rotation? You know, here's what I, I, I look at happening. I think he's going to be an opener. But I'm not talking about a guy that's going to pitch one inning. I think Jordan Hicks has at least three in him. They'll probably give him two. Uh, he's got enough pitches in his repertoire where he doesn't have to feel like he has to rely solely on the fastball all the time. So I think he'll be part of the fifth starter equation. Claves, I also wanted to ask you something totally random. Is that okay? Sure. <laughs> we were just talking about of all things, William Howard Taft and about bathtubs. And I said, I can't believe people are still taking baths these days because you're just soaking in your own filth, essentially. You are a guy who knows how to... I love to... me, though. I love me. If I'm going to soak with somebody, I want to be me. I love me. You know what? That's probably the best answer you could have given. But I said, if I know anybody who knows how to live life right, it's Mike Claiborne. And so I need to know, are you a bath guy or a shower guy? Because if you are going to tell me baths are the way to go, it's luxurious, relaxing, whatever it may be, I think I might have to reconsider. Well, let me put it this way. With the technology of showers and the, the, the temperature you can control better and all those sort of things, I am probably more of a shower guy. But you get me a nice big bathtub, especially like on a beach in, in like in a villa, and you can sit in a bathtub where you have your own little private beach and just sit there and listen to the ocean roll in. Uh, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it, especially when you can continue to change the water temperature in the water itself. Hey, Claves, one more thing. Opening day, I believe every Cardinal Hall of Famer except for Joe Torre is going to be on hand. Well, maybe Carp. Carp might not be. But I want to know who you're most... Tony would be the only ones that I understand probably won't be there. Yeah. So with with that being the case of the guys that are going to be there, who are you most excited about being there? Whew. Man, I'm excited (laughs) about all of them because here's the one thing. when, When they roll those guys out, when you look at them and they get out and they have their red jackets on, all I have is great memories about how great they were as players and people. You get to know them off the field. And, Randy, you've been around all those guys. You know what good people they are. So I just I cherish the memories. So I don't have a particular. I, I guess it would be Ozzy because, you know, our history goes back to the day he got here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I can't beat him at golf. So, you know, I have to admire him for a lot of things. So I, I would say him, but you name one of those guys, and I'm going to raise an eyebrow too because I'm excited about them being there and the impact that they've had on the Cardinals and, and certainly St. Louis. I was thinking this morning because we are, we're going to air our interview with Mark McGuire coming up. We recorded it yesterday, and he talks about his rookie year and talks about uh, having 33 at the break. And and Claves, you know this because you were there. And how cool is this? Bob Gibson used to give me all-star game tickets every year. Here I am, 22, 23, 24 years old, and Bob Gibson is getting me all-star game tickets. He was such a great guy, and we miss him so much. But uh, what a teddy bear, too. He, he, for the gruff yeah. exterior, just one of the nicest people that you could ever run across. And you know what, Randy? You, you were so spot on, and he was one of my best friends in life. Uh, and I miss him all the time. But you're right. And you saw that side of him that most people didn't see because he was a teddy bear and had this really unique sense of humor about things. Uh, as tough of a competitor as it was, 
And I, I think the, the one thing I look back on, his relationship with Jack Flaherty is one that and, – and Jack and I were talking about the other day. And he just said, man, you know what? I kind of miss Bob Gibson. He said, no, I don't kind of. I really do because we would have these conversations. And I'd say, you? I knew the guy for 40 years. I mean, he's one of my favorites of all time. And, and But that sense of humor that he had really masked how – tough and how competitive he was now he didn't take any guff off of anybody mm-hmm. but things that really got him excited were things you'd never think about and just the fact that he wanted to meet jack flaherty i think that's the one thing that stands out you know he, here's a guy who's a hall of famer and you know people always want to meet him but when he says he wanted to meet somebody yeah, that's cool just said all you wanted to know but but he had a kind spot in his heart i will miss him on opening day and the stories that you and I have and when he and Mike would get together are, are stories that I truly cherish. Absolutely. Clay, safe travels home, and uh, we'll either see you tomorrow at the workout or at the very least on Thursday on opening day. Looking forward to it. You, you, I, you, I promise you'll see me on opening day tomorrow. There are no guarantees. I can <laughs> okay. tell you that right now. <laughs> you got it. Get that looking forward to seeing you. Make sure you have on your, your best duds. I know I'm planning on it, so we'll have a good time having a fun watching this Cardinal team this year. Sounds great, Klaibs. Have a safe trip home, and we'll see you soon. Thanks. All right, guys. Take care. That is Mike Claiborne on 101 ESPN. I would love for you two to do an hour, maybe a podcast, on just stories about Bob Gibson oh. and some of those older Cardinals. I bet you guys have the best stories. And I need to be on a podcast so they can be unfiltered. You can say whatever right. you want. Well, one time, Klaibs was doing a post-game open line, and we've talked about this on the air before. He, we both remember it. He was, I was producing a, a post-game open line, and Bob and Mike were doing the post-game open line. And a guy calls in and said, hey, Bob, I'm 27 years old, and I play in a men's league, and I throw about 95 miles an hour. How can I get to pro ball? And Bob said, well, you're too old. Nobody really cares. So you just throw as long as you want, as hard as you want, until your arms fall off, and nobody's going to care. You just go ahead and do it. <laughs> He said, you are making pro ball. You're too old. Wow. At least he was honest. <laughs> he was the best. He was, he, was, he was a really kind, nice gentleman. During that conversation with Klaibs, I got a call from Scam Likely. Do you ever answer those calls and say, hey, Scam, what up? No, I don't. I, I don't, like to do that. I don't it's pick just those fun. Up. I think they can track your voice or something. I don't pick. Yeah, any they of don't. Those they up. record yes or something like that. Yeah, don't do that. So I just say, hey, Scam, what up? And then I don't say anything. And Scam never responds? Never responds. How rude. I know. Weak. Scam called you. Right. I think they would respond. Say something to me. Mark McGuire, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is Cardinals opening week. They open against the Pirates on Thursday. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and Cardinal Hall of Famer Mark McGuire, kind enough to join us. It's kind of an opening day tradition now on this show. Mark, good morning. How are you doing? Fantastic. How are you guys doing? Everything's great. And we're excited about having you here in town for opening day wearing the red jacket. And I know that's one of your favorite traditions. <laughs> It is. It's uh, yeah. It's it's been a while, and I'm glad things get to work out and uh, get to be on the back of one of those uh, cars and drive around the, the stadium and stand at home plate and. 
be there for opening day. It's going to be exciting. It really is, Mark. It's always such a special day here in St. Louis. But this one's going to be a little extra special, not only having a full-capacity Bush Stadium again, but with Adam Wainwright, potentially his last season, Yadier Molina saying it's his last season, and the return of Albert Pujols. I imagine this one's going to have just a little extra juice. I think so, and, and I'm I'm excited for Albert. And you know, it's uh, boy, you know what he he can still hit. <laughs> he can still hit, and he loves facing lefties. And you know, he really he 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 really accepted that role when uh, he went over and played with the Dodgers. And I think that's the key. And you know, accepting you know uh, you know you know player like is his caliber wants to play every day and can help the team, which. I know he can, but to accept the role, the way the game's gone, and uh, <clears throat> the left-right stuff, and and what he can do, and I remember getting a phone call from uh, Skip Schumacher and said, "Hey, when's the last time you seen Albert? Is he in good shape? Is he working out? Is he hitting?" I'm like, "Absolutely. You think he can hit left, dude? It would be stupid not to give him a chance." And I'm telling you what, I, a couple days later, and there he is walking outside. Uh, the the right field foul pole down there in Jupiter and fans give him a standing ovation. I couldn't be happier for him and St. Louis, you know, in the game of baseball, you know, it's after what happened with the, the lockout and the 90 days uh, lockout and to, to bring back Albert to St. Louis. And if it's the last years for, for uh, Wayno and Yachty, I mean, for them three to go out together for the history of what they've done for, for baseball, but let alone St. Louis baseball in the city of St. Louis, what a great thing for baseball. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that they definitely need to, to mend the uh, wounds of the 90-day lockout. You're so right, Mark. And Randy and I love talking hitting with you. We could do it for hours. But when you say very definitively, <laughs> Albert Pujols can still hit, I want to hear from Mark McGuire's yeah. perspective. What do you see in him that leads you to say that so definitively? <laughs> he, he, he just he, he's a born hitter. I mean, it's like it's like uh, I mean, the chances I get to work out. We we live in the same community out here in Orange County, you know, um, and. Uh, Time and time again, we'll we'll get together, we'll hit, um, and it's like when I when I saw that he went down and played down the Dominican, and um, I was just thinking, man, that, this guy's incredible. Just to to go down there and to play, to pass on the knowledge, almost like be a player coach, almost like what Pete Rose did back in the day, and and for for Albert to pass on the knowledge, let alone can still hit a ninety nine mile an hour fastball with the best of them. Um, he's, he's just got that, he's got that born eyes to play this game, to see the ball, to, to stay on the ball. And, you know, unfortunately his, his knees and speed gave up on him years ago and, you know, but he is in such great shape and this guy can give him a bat. I mean, he, he puts the ball in play. Um, and that's something that he's always done. And, and it's just like, it's so cool to see that he's going for 22 years. It's just it's amazing. And the city of St. Louis, the game of baseball, um, it's just when you have a born baseball player like him, and uh, it's, just, it's just awesome to see what he's done and what he's going to do. And, and I, I wish him nothing but the success to get to 700 and over 700 and, and to bring another championship or be a part of another championship there in the great city of St. Louis. Mark, we had Nolan Arnato on the show last week. He was telling us about his warehouse that you have visited, that Albert has visited. (laughs) 
when you guys talk hitting, when when high level hitters talk hitting, is there something mm-hmm. that the conversation always comes back to? I mean, I don't know if it comes anything comes back to. It's just you know, I think everybody has their own. They, obviously, they have their own knack of their, their feeling. You know, hitting is feeling, and you know the, the way I talk hitting it. it the, their feeling and what they, how they uh, uh, interpret what I'm trying to say to them might be different the way that I interpret it. But what it, it when I talk hitting and, and especially with Albert, you know, the knowledge that he has, I might say something that he's never heard from uh, from anybody. I, I might say something to Aaron Arenado uh, from, and, and he's like, wait a minute, I've never heard it that way. And it just clicks, it, and that's the the beauty about hitting. We all, as as former players, as coaches, we all say the same thing. We just say it in different ways, and and it, and it might click in different things. And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off, and go, wait a minute. Now, I think I have a knack. I see things that a lot of people don't see. I see little muscle strands that in the legs, in the feet, <laughs> that I can see through through the the uniform. That I'm thinking, no, you're not staying in your front foot. Your front foot's leaking, and if your front foot is leaking, your upper half is leaking. You're going to come around the ball. It's just that's what happens. That front foot has to be down. That front side, that that IT band on the outside of your front front quad has to be it has to be stiff. It has to it has to throw the backside through it. You can't allow that front side to, to leak. You can't have that front foot leak over on the outside part of your ankle. Now, that's the way I look at things. Now, other people might look at other things and not see that stuff. But when I look and I break down hitters, it all starts from the lower half. It starts from the feet. The feet are the center of your strength. The feet, the ground, you have to use the ground. The ground has to be your friend. And and so when I sit there and I talk to Nolan or Albert or whoever it may be, we always talk about the ground, the ground up. And you can talk about the hands all you want. Your hands are only to be as fast and as smooth, as sturdy, and as strong as your lower half is. Mark, you can hit so the daylights. That answers your question. It's it's part of it. You you can hit the daylights out of a golf ball. It sounds like a lot of what you're talking about you could apply to golf too. Mm. <laughs> Do you agree? It's it's exactly the same. Oh, absolutely. I, I I chuckle. I laugh out loud <laughs> when somebody says. Oh, baseball players that shouldn't be playing golf. You're crazy. You should go out and play golf. You should go out and go up to the driving range because I will guarantee you if you're going to try to hit a baseball and your feet are not on the ground and you try to hit a golf ball and your feet aren't in the ground, you're not going to hit it very straight. So the great thing about baseball is you want you hit a foul ball, you get another shot. You hit a ball right or left in a golf game, you're going to go find it and try to hit it. You know, so it's, it's a lot harder to make money. It's a lot harder to make money in golf than it is in baseball. I guarantee you that. But it's it's like I, I think that's why I truly believe that's why I was such a good low ball hitter is because I was playing golf at the age of five years old. So I started learning hitting through the ball down below my feet, right by my feet. And, you know, I got to hit the, the golf ball a long way, just like I did with a baseball. And then, but to me, it's so similar. Obviously, the ball's on a, a, a different access point, but it's just you're hitting a moving ball in baseball. Golf is sitting there on the tee saying, hit me, hit me, hit me. But why is that so hard? Why is that so hard to hit a golf ball when it's sitting there on a tee going, hit me, hit me, hit me? 
because your body and everything has to be hit, has to be perfectly in sync when you hit a golf ball. And if something's out of whack, it's going to go awry. And then, then what happens? You have to manipulate your hands. You have to manipulate this. You got to hold on. In baseball, it's the same thing, but you have a little room for error for that. But the concept is exactly the same. But those feet have to be in the ground. You have to use the ground as your friend. And, uh, you know, that's the great thing today with all this, uh, all this conditioning coaches, all the new wave stuff. And they use these sports plates to really see when you, it really shows these kids like, hey, I'm really using the ground. Oh my gosh, I don't even have to, I'm not even really using my hands or using my upper body to hit the ball. Of course, because the lower, your lower body's dictating that. Mark. So. I get excited about talking about hitting. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, okay, I have a follow-up question then, Mark. If hitting is feeling in today's analytics-based style of play, mm-hmm. how difficult is mm-hmm. it for the modern baseball player to marry those two together? Because I think we watch games and we just expect these players to perform, but with things shifting mm-hmm. the way that it has, how difficult is that actually? How complicated is it for a baseball player? Mm. Well, listen, I, I like the analytical part. Listen, there was so much analytics in the game of baseball when I was playing. We just didn't, we didn't, we didn't have the computers to, to tell us, but the, the, we just didn't know. We are doing things a lot of, we are doing a lot of right things. Unfortunately, today, the kids are chasing a number without chasing a feeling. You can reach a number in a cage which is great. I got exit velo. I got this bat speed, but that doesn't parlay into what you're going to do in a game, you know, because it's a totally different thing. Now pitching, I totally understand pitching. You can see it right away. You're, you can do whatever you want to change your fingers on the ball, your grip pressure, whatever you want to do. You can see it right away. Hitting, you have to rely on a pitcher throwing you a baseball. So the analytical thing is to me, the hitter has to know his feeling to create that number. If he does not have the feeling and doesn't know where his lower half is, doesn't know where his feet are in the ground, doesn't know if his, his, his legs are totally crushing the ball or squeezing, as I call it, at contact, then he's not going to create that number. It's, it's impossible to do that. And the way when I talk about this, <clears throat> I don't talk about like this for like a, a one-week period. I talk about the consistency of 162 games. That's really hard to do. Because if somebody comes to you and say, listen, your exit velo is not up to what it used to be last year. So what are you going to do? Where are you going to? You're going to go look at a computer to tell you how to get there? No, you got to go look in the mirror and go, where's my feet? Where's my lower half? Oh, my feet are, I'm hitting on skates. Well, no kidding. If you're hitting on skates, your feet aren't in the ground. And so... The thing is, is the marrying thing is the understanding where there has to be a, a happy medium with the analytics and the, and the, and the, if you want to call it old school baseball mind. <clears throat> there has to be a marrying of the two where you have analytic person that can give you the numbers and you have a, you have a old school, if you want to call it, hitting coach or coach in general that understands how the body works. Because you can only reach those numbers if the body is working correctly. Now, and then that's the way I look at things. So if I watch guys on TV and they hit a, you know, hit a ball at, you know, so you hit a ball at 110 miles an hour, but it's a, it's a ground ball, five hopper, even though you hit it straight into the ground, is that going to tell you a good result? Not really. 
You know, it's, it's, so it's where are you going to be? Right. It's like, how can, how can, how consistent can I be over 162? And the, and it comes down to a feeling. You have to understand where your body's at. And the, the unfortunate thing today is the kids are looking at computers too much rather than looking and feeling and understanding where your body's at. And I used to sit in front of my mirror all the time <laughs> and I used to close my eyes. And I used to try to swing and understand because when you're at the plate, especially during a stressful situation, <laughs> you know, bottom of the ninth or a key RBI situation, you can't think about trying to reach a number. You have to think about my feet are on the ground. Where's the ball? You cannot sit there and have your mind wander about anything else other than seeing the release point. If you're not thinking about I'm in the ground, okay, let's go, or I'm in the ground, but oh, my hands. Where are my hands? Next thing you know, the pitch is on top of you. Or I need to, I need, I need to hit this ball you know, 110 miles an hour. Well, my mind's thinking about 110 miles an hour, but my mind's not thinking about where's the ball. You know, so mm-hmm. I can go on and on about this. But the the thing is, it's 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 a tough thing because I know the analytics is really taking over the game. And listen, I don't have a problem with it all, but there's a there's a there's a thing where there has to be a marrying where, where both sides have to come together, where you have to, the kids have to understand where their lower half's at in order to create, a, in order to create those numbers. Cardinal Hall of Famer Mark McGuire with us on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And Mark, from the time I was a little kid, I've been going to Cardinal opening days here in St. Louis. And we, we've been talking about how you, there's so much that is robotic in the sport. And my favorite opening day ever was 98. And younger Randy, I don't think, humanized the sport enough. Tony would always tell us they're men, not machines. You know what? And let me retroactively apologize because I I had the same expectations of you than that everybody else did. And I'm sure you felt this way. I'm sure that when we showed up as the media or you talked to fans, you felt like, what do they think I am, a robot? Because I think that that's kind of the perception that we have. What, 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 was it, what did it feel like for you? From from a human perspective, what was 98 like for you? Wow. Uh, crazy. It was crazy, uh, Randy. Um, it's you know, I mean, gosh, dang, we're going, we're going back many years now, right? It's like, um, you know, to think about like, um, I remember doing the, the a photo shoot for for Sports Illustrated. Um, I think it was probably January of '98 for the issue for the baseball preview issue, and and I was doing it, and and I remember seeing the cover, and the, and I, I believe the cover was like, is this the year or something? Because um, the year that Maris broke the record, it was the expansion year. Um, and then 98 was an expansion year. And they're like, is this the year that, you know, the home run record is going to be broken? So you, you got to go into spring training and, and there's already that talk. Now there was always that there was already that talk back in 1987 when I had 33, 33 home runs at the all-star break, Right. you know, in 87 as a rookie. So, you know, it's just, it's amazing to think that, um, how powerful the mind can be, um, you, you know. Well, yeah, even though that some people say that you know, oh, they're they're robots and stuff, and but you know, we are human. But the understanding that the the mind controls everything. Now, um, now, if I didn't go through all the trials and tribulations through the years prior to that, where I had 
many injuries and I basically didn't play for two years in 93 and 94 and you know going through therapy and understanding who I was as a person I don't think I would have handled you know 98 the way I did I mean I thought I handled it very well even though I'm sure I got ornery during times but um, but the thing is, is like when you go to like talk about opening day in 98, I mean, hitting that home run is like, wow, this is the start of it uh, against, you know, the Dodgers of all teams. <laughs> He's like, you know, grew up watching, you know, it's like, um, you know, and then I think it was what hit home runs in the first four games, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then the talk got even more. And, um, you know, then we, you know, hey, listen, we got 162. There's a long way to go. You know, who, who knows what's going to happen? But it, it's amazing how powerful. That's the only thing I can say. It's amazing how powerful the mind can be that you can get to another level and then another level uh, when you know how to use it. And it's really hard to describe to people when, when if, if you're talking about this and, you know, people have never been to that depth inside your mind uh, to to pretty much just just get everything out of it. Like, you, I, I mean, there was times I played, many times I played that I couldn't hear a thing that was going on in the ballpark. I mean, that's how deep I was into my mind, and and it was just like, but I was so peaceful. You know, it was just so peaceful because it's like that. That's just I, I got into those depths where it was just like. Wow, I was basically floating many times, and just, just like, man, I can't believe that, like, all this, uh, you know. Sometimes I would say, like, stress. What's stress? You know, I, I just never, I never understood what stress is like. Michael Jordan when I was between the lines. Yeah, Michael Jordan called the court his sanctuary. Was the was the field kind of your sanctuary? Yeah. Yes. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, you know, I handle. I tried to handle the best that I could. You know, away from it. You know, being fans being coming up during lunch, dinner, or whatever it may be, or just out, um, you know, and then dealing with the media on an everyday basis. Um, you know, the thing was, you, you think about it, like, we used to do all the media stuff inside the locker room. Then it got to the point where we started doing press room. You know, they started doing little press rooms. Now now you look at now it's the mainstay. They do press rooms all the time now. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, um, you know, coming out to, to, to watch batting practice started in 98, you know, now it's a huge thing where they, they sell, you know, you know, groups of people come out on the field now for, uh, to watch batting practice. Now that all started in 98, you know, nobody used to be on the field watching batting practice. And that's another thing, <laughs> Randy, Michelle, it's like, you know, the, the, the P, the BP thing just got just like they got enormous news, you know. You would have fifteen to twenty thousand people in the stands watching batting practice, and so I was basically playing a game before the game even started. Right. You know, I had to like, I had to be in like, like I had to be in like that mode of like, oh my gosh, I got to go out and take batting practice today, you know. And listen, Dave McKay was and still is one of the best BP throwers I've ever had, and he, I mean, there was in the day that I didn't like his BP where I struggled to hit. It was always right there. And and everybody's like, well, do you try to hit home runs with BP? There isn't a time or a place I ever tried to hit a home run in my life playing the game of baseball. It was just my swing. That that's my swing. I, I must have had I had this natural natural lift of the ball or a launch angle as they call it today. And I never once tried to hit a ball 
out of the ballpark. Amazing. And I just hit, I just hit a ball. I just hit the ball and the way I swung and I have to, and it goes back to when you talked about golf, it, I, it goes back to my golf days when I was a young kid playing golf. And there was many times, especially earlier in my career where when I was struggling hitting wise, I would go to a driving range because you know what, you go to a driving range, what does it do? It's going to slow you down. Mm-hmm. It slows you down. And you have to be under control hitting a golf ball. And so, and they would really help me out. And then, you know, so um, I know I'm rambling about 98, but it's just like, you know, to think about how powerful the mind is, I, I tell you what, the trials and tribulations, like I said earlier, what I went through, you know, earlier in my career, I don't, I don't know if that I would have been able to handle what happened in 98, but um, I'm glad, you know, and Listen, you are the person you are in life and you're continually growing and it's usually not growing. You're not growing from success. You're growing from failure Mm -hmm. (laughs) or something happened in your life. Um, And it's like, God knows I've had a lot of failure, you know, and the thing is, is I took it head on and I crushed through that wall and I, and I, and I embraced it. And that's instead of running away from it. And, and the, the unfortunate thing is young kids today, they, they don't know how to deal with that. They, 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 they want instant, 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 instant. They want something to happen right away when, especially in the game of baseball, <clears throat> there's a kid I'm working with and he goes, how do you, how are you so positive? He goes, listen, I know what you're going through. I know the feeling what you're going through right now. And trust me. If you're having good TPs and you're working and you're doing your stuff, you're putting in the time, good things are going to happen. You cannot ask for 10 hits and one at bat. You can't ask for five home runs in two games. It's just you have to be patient. The more patient you are, the more the game is going to come back to you. The more impatient you are, the more the game is going to run away from you. And it's just something that I've learned over time and I've learned over failure because everybody thinks when somebody talks from success, they think they're talking, oh, I've done this because I'm so successful. That person has gotten there from failure. He has gotten there. He or she has gotten successful from so many different failures in their lives that made him the person or made her the person to be successful in that position. It's just what it's just what life's all about. You have to learn from your failures. Everybody does it. Everybody has it, and it's the ones that ones that want to bust through it, accept it, embrace it, that can move on and be successful. Amen. Great advice, Mark. Well, I have one final question for you about Albert Pujols. I was talking with Randy before we connected with you about how I am fascinated by the makeup or the construction of the great ones, the people that can really stand above the rest and do something at the most elite levels. You're in that category. Albert Pujols is in that category. And obviously it has to be a combination, the perfect cocktail of God-given talents and hard work. But when you spoke about Albert Pujols at the beginning of our conversation, you said he's a born hitter. And back in 2001 in spring, training Albert Albert's rookie year you went to Tony La Russa after you saw Albert Pujols and you said this guy's got to make your team this guy's got to be here what did you see in him then what whether it was his natural born talents or what that made you believe he had to be there I, I think it was in his eyes it was this determination it was that the he was so relentless um it, you know <clears throat> I believe he was a third baseman I could be wrong in the mind. Right. I believe he was a third baseman. And so here's a third baseman 
in a big guy at that, right? And and he was put in the outfield. You know, um, I was I was uh, you know I had first base, and so he didn't really play first base until you know I got hurt and or, and I left. And so here's this athlete that is such a big guy that can I mean his hand eye coordination was off the charts for a, such a young kid. And in in the thing is, it's like a lot of us didn't know who he was because you know you go back twenty plus years. You know, we didn't have the information that these kids have, the information of finding out who's coming from behind, you know, the minor league stuff. And, you know, all there's a lot of those games are on TV today. And, you know, you can watch videos on the minor leaguers and stuff. We didn't have that stuff. We didn't know who was coming up or, or who was drafted. It just wasn't there. But when you saw him play, it's just like, this is a no brainer. Like, why wouldn't you want him on your team? We're going to win. We're going to win. This guy's a winner. This guy is just like, he has got blinders on. He doesn't, he doesn't know what's going around him. He, all he cares about is hitting the baseball and making a play. And that, I remember seeing him make that play out in left field. Um, at, and I, I believe it was in, we were in Jupiter. And I remember, I, I, and, and I still remember I going up to Tony. I said, if he is not on our team, it's the, it would be the, the worst move you've ever made. Now, I know Tony <laughs> doesn't have, you know, Walt Jockety. Walt Jockety has the, the say on it, but it's like, you know, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. And, it, you know, the thing was, and I, and I truly believe they, that he was going to go down to AAA, but it wasn't until Bobby Bonilla got hurt. I think he had a hamstring problem, I think, the last week of spring training. And, he broke the team with us, and the rest is history. It's a, it's a first ballot. And if he if he doesn't get a hundred percent, hundred percent getting in the Hall of Fame, there's something wrong with the voting. It's just like I, I don't understand that. This guy, it's like it's not the first ten years of his career. Nobody in the history of the game has done what he's done. Ten first, the history of the game. Yeah, you know, and it's like yes, he's had some injuries, and it's like oh, and he's going to reach 700 home runs. I don't have it. There's, I, I don't even need to question that. He's going to he's going to reach 700 home runs, but it's just like this guy is just he was born. God gave us us the game of baseball to witness this <laughs> this this human being to be as good. As on the field, but even a better person off the field with all the stuff that him and his wife, Dee Dee, do. It's just unbelievable what we've been given. And it's just like I've been saying for years, it's like, do not take him for granted. Do not take him for granted. Well, Mark McGuire, we're blessed to have you as a member of Cardinal Nation and a Cardinal Hall of Famer. And we're looking forward to Thursday. And uh, Michelle and I will track you down. And uh, I can't wait to see you and say uh, hi. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. And uh, thanks. Let's do, a sh- let's do a selfie. Can we do a selfie? We got to do a selfie. Oh, oh I yeah, love we'll it. We'll do a selfie, all three of us. You know right, it. We got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that'd be awesome. We'll do well, it. I look forward to it, and uh, and I, and uh, it's, it's been a while since I've been back there, so it's, I'm I'm really excited and um, put put that jacket on. It's been a, it's been a couple of years, so I, I I'm I'm assuming the jacket still fits. So <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sure still, it does. Still in pretty good shape. So yeah, so great. Well, again, thank you guys, Randy, Michelle. I really appreciate it, and as always, uh, anytime I'll, I'll be here. Love to talk baseball. We love it. Thanks, Mark. Have a great day. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We are so glad that you are listening, and we're so glad that you listened to Mark McGuire and it is amazing, and Mark doesn't come on with the idea of coaching us, but Michelle, I think that you and I share this feeling. We get coached. We learn a lot about hitting and about just the approach to athletics when we have Mark McGuire on the show. I learn more about hitting and about baseball and, frankly, about life and mental toughness <laughs> in a 30-minute conversation with Mark McGuire that we do once, if we're lucky enough, twice a year than I do in any other aspect of my life. And, Randy, every time... I walk away from a conversation with Mark McGuire. I think some organization needs to lock him up. What a valuable resource for an organization to have. If, whether you're a veteran or a young player, but specifically a young player, mm-hmm. adapting to all of the pressures of today's game and and the way that you need to diagnose and, and as we talked about, marry the analytics with the physical aspect of hitting. Mark McGuire is the person that you want to provide that message to these kids. And as we hear, he's such a great communicator. And there are so many young players, Jerry Kellenick right now with the Mariners, his agent, Ken Rosenthal, had a piece at The Athletic. His agent called up Mark McGuire and said, hey, will you help out? And Mark said, yeah, sure. They haven't even met, but through Zoom and through phone calls, he's helping Jerry Kellenick. We've told the story before about Chris Duncan and Skip Schumacher going out to California. We talked to Nolan Arenado last week about Big Mac being in that warehouse. He's a guy that just can't get enough about talking hitting. And if you want to be communicated to, if you want your players to be communicated to in a way that makes sense, he tries to find a way, doesn't he? He does. And I always go back to the conversation we had last year with John Mosaloc about the high-level curriculum that the Cardinals were trying to employ from an offensive standpoint. And he shared with us that you have to have the right voices that are, are communicating these things to players. And if Mark McGuire can effectively communicate it to us who are not in the cage every day and who aren't doing this for a living, I can only imagine the way that baseball players would actually receive it. And somebody gives us a a great text and it'll never happen, but it does make all the sense in the world when he talks about mental toughness and he talks about being in that sanctuary and being able to tune everything out and still succeed. Uh, This from the 636, need to get Binner and Big Mac together for a chat. Oh, that would be incredible. Absolutely. Because everything that Mark is saying applies not only to baseball players, but to all of us in different mm-hmm. aspects of our lives. People are under stress now more than ever. There's a lot of things that have been happening in the world for the past couple of years, and that takes a toll on people. And I just think about the way that he's able to really train, because it's just, it's a skill to train your mind to focus on the one thing that you need to do and block out all of that external noise and really just wipe the slate clean and recenter yourself. And a lot of people try to meditate and it's easier said than done to do that. But I think what I've learned from Mark McGuire is that whether it's the mental preparation or the physical preparation, it all takes discipline and you have mm-hmm. to continue to hone in on your craft. And I just think back to him in 98, him making it a point to get in a dark room, to visualize himself doing this, to meditate before every game, knowing that he needed to prepare his his mind to be ready to take on this task. And I really meant it, by the way, when I 
apologize to him because I may, and this is from years of following Jack Buck around, but I make it a point to talk to players about how their families are doing and uh, how things are going. Talk to them about anything except for the sport that they play because that's what they do when they're playing. And I really didn't do that with McGuire. It was kind of unfair that I, I would go to other players on that team. I talked to Brian Jordan about his kids and uh, you know the, the pitchers and just to try to find out how people are doing so that they can say, oh, here's a conversation that isn't about hockey. I, one time I asked Vladdy Tarasenko, how are the kids doing? He said, nobody's ever asked me that before. No, no media members ever asked me that before. And I care. I, I want players to be humanized. And that's why I think I have decent relationships with a lot of these guys. But with Mark in 98, I did treat him as a robot. And that was really unfair, I think, on all of our parts. Because we went to the game, and we expected him to put on a performance. And then after that, it was just baseball. And he left, and we left. And that's all he thought about. That's all that he could do that year was concentrate on hitting home runs. And we expected it. We, and if, if he didn't hit a home run, we were disappointed. But that was the the big storyline. That's yeah, it what was. it was. Not only St. Louis, it was the world that was captivated by this. So it's hard not to get caught up in that, whether you're a, a teammate or a fan or a media member. I was telling somebody yesterday, and we recorded that interview yesterday, by the way. But there, in April of '98, one of the TV stations sent a news reporter over before Election Day. By the way, Election Day today, and Missouri was having a gun rights vote and a news person asked Mark McGuire after a game, Hey, there's a big gun rights vote happening in Missouri tomorrow. Where do you stand? Well, number one, he wasn't, wasn't a resident of Missouri. He wasn't going to vote here, but why are you asking a baseball player where he stands on that? That's how big he was that they thought it was legit to get his opinion on it. But why do you ask an athlete that? Why? And if you're a news director, why would you send somebody over to ask an athlete that? Yeah, that one I don't have an answer to, but uh, I guess that just shows how, how important he yeah. was, what a big figure he was in our community at that time that people wanted his opinion on everything. Yeah, I, I rolled my eyes. I did. You know, I'll never forget after this conversation, Randy, my one big takeaway is this phrase, hitting is feeling. Mm-hmm. Hitting is feeling because we talk about these guys and all the data and all the different intricacies and complexities of hitting and all the things they have to think about. But when it comes down to it, to hear one of the best guys to ever do this, talk about how it's just a feeling. It's mm-hmm. about you, of course, knowing your opponent and having a game plan, but knowing your swing and, and feeling it in that moment. And having everything compartmentalized by the t- time the game starts. And if, with hit, hitting being feeling, that means you just can't go up there trying to think. You, Like he says, you have to clear all that stuff out and know what's going to happen and be in that zone where he doesn't hear the crowd. And most hitters, I would guess, probably can't do it to the level that he did. But I think that's probably what you have to try to do at least is get all of the outside noise out and just focus on that ball. And I know that they had video, obviously, in Mark McGuire's day, but it's it's so different. And uh, players rely on it so much these days. But I wonder how many players in today's game do what Mark McGuire did and they stand in front of a mirror and they Mm -hmm. practice their swing and they look at themselves. I I wonder how many guys are just reliant on viewing themselves in a mirror through, through watching video. But I think it's a little different when you're standing there and you're looking at yourself in a mirror and you're watching your swing. Yeah. I wonder if guys still do that. 
It's a good question. We should well, ask we'll, him. We'll ask some guys. It was great to have Mark with us, and it'll be great to have him in town as one of the many Cardinals Hall of Famers that'll be on hand for opening day on Thursday. Great job, as always, by our producer engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. Michelle, this was great. It was, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow, one day closer to the home opener. And tomorrow is hump day. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Yeah. This week is flying by. It is. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.